Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC 255, headlined by Davison Figueiredo and Alex Perez, as well as Valentina Shevchenko, defending her flyweight title against Jennifer Maya. Should be a fun fight. Not the most uh, you know, name-worthy card here, but a lot of a lot of fun fights for sure. I had a ton of fun breaking down these fights. Uh, one of the fights that I do want to highlight is um, Brandon Royval versus Brandon Moreno. That should be absolute bonkers. I cannot wait for that fucking fight. Not to mention the rematch of Paul Craig and Shogun Hua. Um, Mike Perry versus Tim Means should be a great fight as well. I believe Mike Perry was originally scheduled to fight Robbie Lawler. Fortunately, Robbie Lawler pulls out and we get a decent replacement in Tim Means. Very, very much looking forward to that fight the return of the viral sensation Joaquin Buckley or Joaquin Buckley I should say against Jordan Wright that should be a great fight Antony Shevchenko against Ariane Lipsky that should be a great fight too the return of Alan Joban uh Luis Kosi I believe is how you pronounce his name uh he's coming back after his Dana White Contender Series win a lot of high praise on that kid a lot of people looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table in the UFC and then Daniel Rodriguez versus Nicholas Dalby should be a phenomenal fight too so ton of fights that I'm really looking forward to on this card um some people may say it's not pay-per-view worthy I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? I'm watching every card regardless, so I don't really care. Uh, before we get into the breakdowns, though, let's go over the uh, last event, just as I always do. And just as we always do over here, we don't hide from our losses. We we are completely transparent. That's why we track. That's why we, you know, go over to the bet MMA tips and track our bets just as we always do. Um, so there is absolutely no, trans- no you know, no humming or hawing or or you know this guy deleted this pick or whatever the fuck it is it's never like that around here because i want to be transparent with you guys you guys know what my picks are on a weekly basis but i still want to own up to my losses whenever i get incur those losses and then brag about my fucking wins whenever i win those wins because i show you guys my losses so the wins feel even better all right let's go over this real quick so that i don't have to cry too much about it let's start off with the lock of the night play it absolutely burns on us uh minus five units on abdul razak al hassan we had him at minus 240 against uh chaos williams chaos williams can throw a straight punch and in fact has a ton of power behind it too so that one absolutely sucked to lose um yeah not much more i can really say about that one you know that one was a tough one to lose uh that one was kind of like uh you know almost betting against francis and ganu like you're always gonna have a guy that's technically much more better but when it comes down to like raw power these guys have it and i will say this it's not it was not just power from chaos williams that night it was technical striking too that was a punch right down the middle beautiful beautiful counter to a leg kick that abdul was throwing and it landed right on the chin absolutely dusting him off of his feet that one was tough to watch but it is what it is this is mma that's why we watch the sport so minus five units there then we had a, another loss on the dog of the night play minus one unit at uh plus 125 on uh the under two and a half on alex morona and reese mckee those guys were going to war for three rounds for 15 minutes they're going at it neither of them fell i was happy with the odds i got on there so minus one unit there also, we had a loss on the parlay. So we had uh, Rafael Dos Anjos parlayed with Kay Hansen. I did a deciding splits, live deciding splits earlier today on this uh, the Kay Hansen fight. I thought Kay Hansen did enough to win rounds one and three. Um, 
it is what it is. Judging is judging. Uh, and then RDA obviously comes through for us. But regardless, that's a minus two units there because of that K Hansen loss. Uh, and then the two bets we did win. I had 1.5 units on Sean Strickland at plus one or two. Um, happy to get the underdog odds on him. Not happy that I didn't go a little bit harder because I was quite confident in that spot. I really, really like that spot. Um, but yeah, that comes through for us. Uh, even though the, the, the night was a losing night, it's good to have the silver linings of like, you know, getting fights like this Sean Strickland one and even the Tony Gravely one, getting those ones correct, especially because they're the most um, debated fights on the card and their odds being as close as they are. It, th those ones feel super fucking nice. So, um, like I said, one point plus 1.53 units on Sean Strickland and plus one unit on Tony Gravely as I bet him at minus 150 for 1.5 units. That one hits. Uh, and all in all, we get minus 5.47 units. Uh, that, that Al Hassan lock that I played really fucked me that night. Um, as I'm sure it did for a lot of people. I'm sure it busted a lot of parlays, just like Tanner Bozer did the weekend before. Um, there's always going to be that pie shitter, like my man Cody Saftik says. And tonight, or that night, it was Abdul Razak Al Hassan. So, like once again, minus 5.47 units there. We're back to free picks. Uh, however, the Patreon is still live and living. Uh, that's the the next thing I'll get into is just plugging the Patreon for you guys real quick. Even though I'll have free picks uh, for the next three winning events at least, um, the, 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 the picks won't come out for free until Friday. So as soon as I make my picks, I'll be posting them straight to Patreon so everybody on Patreon can get them at the odds that I got them at or at least close to the odds that I got them at. And then I release it to the public on Friday. No guarantees that the lines will be the same, uh, which is the benefit of being on the Patreon. And not to mention, they get early access to the breakdowns that you guys are about to see. They get access to the best bets and props article that I drop on Fridays. Um, there's a great Discord channel where we... You know, I have a community picks channel where we just talk about all other sports and all other bets and everybody's very, very helpful in helping each other out, trying to find the best spots. And then even when we're watching the event live, there's a solid live event channel that we have where we try to, you know, pinpoint solid live betting opportunities or we just talk shit. You know, I mean, it's a lot of fun in that channel. And then obviously, um, it's a great way to 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 really get my thoughts on a lot of these fights rather than just hitting me up through Twitter. Um, and there's a couple other good little perks on the Patreon. Again, it's only five bucks a month. Um, we're up to 172 patrons. Fucking killing it. Absolutely killing it. Loving the support on there. You guys are absolutely absolute monsters i love it i love it i love it i love it everybody understands where i'm coming from understands that there's going to be losing nights here and there but they also understand that i can give them solid advice um in terms of what to be betting on for the ufc events upcoming and not only are they doing that but they're also helping your boy allow allowing me to eventually do this as a full-time thing um the more that this patreon grows the closer i can get to leaving that nine to five so i don't have to be up to fucking 1 a.m doing these videos for you guys uh i can do it during the day and then spend time for my, with my family but then also commit more time to to giving you guys quality content and quality analysis on some of these fights and these matchups coming up so Shout out to everybody on the Patreon. Once again, if you haven't signed up and you are interested in it, the link is in the description below. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on one of those podcast platforms, it's in the description. I'm always going to harp on it because I did some market research on my Patreon. It seems like the vast majority of the people coming over to the Patreon are people that listen to my podcast. So I'm going to plug it all the time to, to get to that point that I can finally leave with the 9 to 5. Once I leave the 9 to 5, then I won't plug the Patreon as much, but I'm going to keep doing so. If you want me to stop talking about it, hop on the Patreon. <laughs> also, one thing that I do believe will help some uh, 
membership sales is there is no long-term commitment with the Patreon. You can unsubscribe at any point. You subscribe, you pay five bucks right on the dot, right on the right away. But after a day or two, if you still don't like it or anything like that, you can unsubscribe, and there's no long-term strings attached, nothing like that. It is literally a month-to-month thing. Once you sign up, you pay that day, and then every first of the month, you pay again. That's all it is. So again, if you pay the five bucks, you don't like the the outcome of the fights for the the coming weekend, you can quickly hit unsubscribe and you won't be charged any further okay now shut the fuck up about the patreon let's get into the breakdowns i hope you guys enjoyed and i hope i can give you guys some solid reads for this card and we can make up for the blunder that was last week lewis kosi versus sasha palatnikov and we got minus 370 on kosi and plus 310 on palatnikov so let's start off with lewis whose brother was actually supposed to fight on this card as well i believe he was supposed to fight nicholas dalby unfortunately orion kosi has to pull out i'm not entirely sure why but uh, his brother's still on the card and people are still excited for that so if most people remember lewis kosi was uh fought on the contender series with his brother on the same night um and they both went out there and got i believe both of them got first round finishes definitely lewis got that first round finish over victor reyna where he showed his his athleticism and his power right off the bat and um he's made a name off of himself for pretty much doing exactly that which is getting his opponents out of their asap uh one two three four four of his wins have come within one minute um but pretty much all of his wins have come in the first round not one fight has seen the second round which is crazy and he's going out there and absolutely dusting these guys um obviously a little bit of skeptical uh, or skepticism towards the opponents that he's been fighting on the regional scene however he's still going out there and getting crazy victories and quickly too uh the only two fights that i have access to in terms of footage is his fight against uh gregory mccowan and then obviously victor reyna the mccowan fight was done even before it started got that done with an eight seconds that guy did not seem like he wanted to be in there at all and then victor rain obviously you know ate the first couple of barrages that was coming his way from cozy but then cozy was able to you know land a beautiful left hook that dropped reina and then follow her up with some uh, ground and pound to get that fight done a minute and 12 seconds into the first round and that fight was seven seconds away from actually being the longest fight in his career which is crazy so he's seven and oh now all first round finishes uh one two three four five of them by ko two of them by submission um the kid looks like he has it all but for me you really gotta you know put these performances together in the ufc against legitimate competition uh to really you know catch my eye and uh to really uh you know to to seem like you have the potential to be one of the best in the in the division and uh the best in the ufc um unfortunately for him in terms of his longevity this fight against sasha palatnikov doesn't really get to show us what he's truly capable of um so i'm fully expecting him to continue his trend of going out there and pummeling dudes within that first round and i'm fully expecting him to do that against sasha palatnikov here um you know going through the tape of palatnikov he's five and two um most recently beating a guy that is three and four in a fight that the guy looked like he didn't even want to be there um you know you see his you see sasha's confidence kind of just glimmer through uh when he's fighting guys that he knows he can go out there and beat but then when he comes up against a little bit of adversary adversity 
it gets a little bit sketchy for him. Like the 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 Manier Luziz fight, which was the second last fight that he had before he's coming into the UFC here. He got hurt and rocked by Munir. Munir gets a little bit overzealous, and we see Sasha actually get his back for a certain uh like a couple seconds, and then Munir quickly spins out of it, gets back to the feet, and then continues to to pummel him there. Uh and that was uh you know a, a great victory for Munir Luziz there. But um yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to make a case for um for Sasha here even given that he's gone you know uh, or had much more cage time as, as a professional than Luis but uh, there isn't really anything that you can point to to be like okay this is where Sasha should have him beat because there's still so much more of Luis that we need to see however I don't think that we're still going to see much more from Luis here as I do believe that Sasha will kind of crumble under the pressure that Luis is going to go out there and put on him you know Sasha does get hit he's he's quite hittable he doesn't really have the greatest striking defense it seems like he does his best work when he's able to push guys up against the cage and and kind of just lean on them or even get them down and kind of just do some good work on top on top like he did in his first, uh, five round fight against Sung Woon Sun unfortunately for him here I, I just think that he's beat it's it's going to be tough you know Munir was pretty much landing on him at will and Munir is you know very good in terms of just striking from a distance and landing on guys and not really getting hit but uh in past fights we have seen him get hit and it's just not a good look um especially when you're fighting a power puncher like Kosi so you guys know me I'm not really behind uh betting on guys that have just that one quick path to victory and we haven't really seen much from them however I think this is a perfectly matched up fight for to make Kosi look good and uh, unfortunately for Palatnikov, he's going to have to drop his first UFC fight here. And it, it really goes to show what this COVID era is doing and the type of talent that we're bringing into the UFC because the UFC is just looking for guys to to kind of get in there. Um, you know, we, I, I'm not sure if this is a short notice one for Kosi. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. It looks like this... This fight was literally just made, but it makes no sense. Yeah, you know I mean, no pre-COVID, you're not getting a guy like Sasha Palatnikov getting signed to the UFC. Shout out to his agency, uh, Ruby uh, Sports and Entertainment. Shout out Daniel Rubenstein. But man, th th this is a tough signing. You got a guy that's one and one in his last two. Um, lost, uh, obviously got knocked out in that one loss, and then goes out there and beats a guy that's three and four again. A guy that does not look like he wanted to be in there at all. Um, yeah, very tough look for uh, for the UFC for for signing a guy like this. You need to be a little bit more um, convincing on the regional scene. Yeah, I'm going with Luis Cosi here without a doubt about it. Uh, I think he gets it done in the first round. And the interesting thing here is the over under just recently dropped, and the the over under is currently set at uh, one and a half, with the under being minus one twenty five, minus one thirty on a couple spots. So I do like Kosi here. I think he's going to get it done relatively quickly, and uh, I, I really do like the under one and a half. So if you really like Kosi here and think think he's going to win, instead of parlaying him at minus three seventy, let's just hit that under. Uh, I, mm. That under is looking really nice to me right now, so I might have to, to, to take a closer look at that. But I do think Kosi gets it done, and I think he gets it done early. Uh, he's going to have too much for Palatnikov. He looks way stronger too, way quicker. And obviously, we know that power is there too. So I'm going with Kosi to win this fight in the first round, uh, but that under one and a half is quite sexy to me here. So once again, Luis Kosi via first round finish. KO or submission, whatever the hell he wants. Kyle Dalkis versus Dustin Stoltzfus. We got minus 275 on Kyle Dauske, Daukes and plus 235 on the German Dustin Stoltzfus. So let's start off with why well, let's start off with the 
self-proclaimed German. He's actually American. He was born over in Pennsylvania, I believe. Or sorry, yeah, he was born in Pennsylvania. Then he moved over to Germany. I'm not sure if it was entirely to study or what it was, but he did end up getting into MMA. Uh, and he put together a solid record for himself when he was over there, um, fighting in, mainly in a promotion called We Love MMA. Um, and, and I find it fucking hilarious, though, when uh, with some of these uh, Japanese, or not Japanese, some of these German MMA promotion names, like there's maybe they're like, overcorrecting for the unfortunate history that their country has had but some of the names for their um for their uh for their for their mma promotions are fucking hilarious so like there's we love mma there's fair fc <laughs> and then there's another one called uh, respect fc or some shit like that it's hilarious to see uh the type of work that they're putting in to do that but um let's get back to this fight so with dustin stolzfus is still a little bit difficult to really get a grasp on what he's about and what his style really is um, in the Joseph Pfeiffer fight that he had against uh, on the Contender Series, uh, Pfeiffer seemed to have a really good, uh, you know, a, a good fight leading up to that arm injury that he incurred. Uh, but he was doing good on the feet, you know, pretty pretty much doing a, a solid job of touching up Dustin uh, and even got him down pretty well too. Dustin showed some good guard play in terms of like, you know, threatening for submissions and, and kind of just striking from the bottom and, and keeping things tight so it was a little bit harder for Pfeiffer to really get anything off. But Pfeiffer did manage to fight through a little bit and and um, landed some good shots himself. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Stolzfus was able to reverse the position, get back to his feet, and then kind of slam Pfeiffer. And then, obviously, uh, you know, we, we saw what happened with Pfeiffer's uh, arm. Uh, the two fights before that against Jonas Bildstein and Nihad Nasufovic. Uh, one of them he won by punches and then the second one he won via twister. But both of those fights, it looks like he was a guy that was like quite like timid in terms of, um, you know, striking. He seemed quite calculated in terms of just waiting for his openings and then going out there and striking, uh, you know, getting leg kicks off and uh, you know, some solid punches and solid counters too. The Jonas Bildstein one was kind of vicious because uh they had this weird like clinch position and then uh dustin kind of tripped jonas as jonas was moving backwards and as jonas was moving backwards uh he ate a beautiful punch from dustin that pretty much floored him and then he followed up with some ground and pound but that kid was out as soon as he got hit with that right hand um you know i'm again i'm still trying to get a feel for him it seems like he has solid striking but the one issue that i did find in the fights that i was watching of his is that um he did have some issues with his takedown defense and to have issues with your takedown defense against a guy like kyle Dalkis is going to be some trouble and now i completely understand why kyle Dalkis is a minus 275 favorite um or yeah minus 275 makes absolute sense this line has been getting steamed as well too it opened up minus 245 we saw it get up to minus 225 with a little love coming on dustin and then eventually calls uh the love for calls start to rain in so kyle obviously he has a, a brother uh chris Dalkis who fights in the heavyweight division but called is slightly smaller but has ridiculously long limbs his reach is 76 inches he's six foot three fighting at 185 pounds um yeah, I think he has a ton of talent and and a ton of uh, potential as well too. Um, most of his wins, obviously, coming via submission, via choke. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing from the kid. Uh, he could use a little bit of work on the feet, obviously. Um, he did get rocked a couple times by Stefan Regman and Nolan Norwood. Uh, even in the Brendan Allen fight, you know, Allen did a, some uh, had a, a little bit of success in terms of trying to hurt him. But obviously, it looked like Kyle was a little bit better on the feet than Brendan Allen. And we saw Brendan Allen's uh, strike, lack of striking defense this past weekend when he fought a super high-level striker in, in Sean Strickland. But uh, Kyle Dock has had some success, especially in that third round where he was finally able to get the back of Brendan Allen where we saw the gas tank of Allen kind of fail him and Allen did a really good job in terms of just staying in there uh, fighting off the submissions and Kaldok has showed a ton of heart in terms of being able to you know maintain that position as well as he did uh, given all the damage that he accrued in those first two rounds uh, and, and did a solid job in terms of controlling uh, Allen there. Unfortunately, he gave up the first two rounds, which is why he ended up losing the decision. But uh, this seems like a little bit better of a fight for him. Um, again, still trying to get a full grasp of what Dustin uh, has on the feet. Again, very calculated, um, low output, which is kind of concerning. Uh, but yeah, I, I do believe that Kyle will be successful in dragging this fight to the feet or to the ground, and I do believe that we'll see him pull off a submission. Now, don't get the you know don't get the fact that uh, Dustin Stoltzfus has a couple of submission victories on his record, even a twister on his record too. Don't get that mixed up with the fact that Caldacus uh, is gonna be the better jujitsu guy here. Uh, you know, Dustin. That fight against Nahad, where he did pull off the twister, that came in the third round where, you know, Dustin did a solid amount of work against Nihad in that first and second round, even hurt and dropped him in that second round. Uh, and then in the third round, it just kind of seemed like he was continuing what was going on in the third round. Nahad really didn't have much in that. And I don't even think he saw that twister coming either, which was very, very impressive from Dustin to sneakily set that up and then eventually pull it off. But I think he's going to have to do a lot more than that to do to to get Kaldalkis out there with the twist or even a submission of any kind i think if dustin get this gets this done it's going to be on the feet and if kyle gets this done this will be on the ground so whether it's a submission or even just a decision victory with controlling dustin the entire time that's the way to go so in my opinion i believe the line is a little bit wide um i do like kyle doc is to win this fight um i do think he gets it done via submission uh, the over-under is currently at 2.5. I wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a poke at the under 2.5. Minus 105 is not that bad of a line. I think both guys have finishing capabilities, but I do think that Kaldakis could be more successful with pulling off a submission. Now, the one of one of his more famous or... Uh, you know, more preferred chokes uh, would be the Darsh choke. And that's something that he's able to set up pretty easily whenever guys are trying to get up. You know, when, when they're when they're trying to get up, they kind of put their head into the chest of their opponents and they try to get off uh, like that. But uh, while they're doing that, Kyle Dawkins does a really good job of just getting his hands in position, setting up that choke, setting up the the, the lock, and then uh, and then just squeezing and with the with his range, with the, sorry, with his reach, with his arm length, uh, with how like weird his body is built he's just able to pull off some of these submissions from like weird weird positions so i do like how dog is to win this fight i i will say that the line is a little bit too wide uh possibly a parlayable uh spot but we do still have some questions about kyle and uh how we would deal with a guy like dustin on the feet depending on how long the fight stays on the feet but uh what what studying has shown me is that Dustin can be taken down. He doesn't put up the, the biggest fight. Uh, obviously, Kyle might not get it the first time or the second time, but I could see him getting it eventually. So hopefully in that amount of time, he doesn't get knocked out or anything like that. But I could definitely see Kyle taking this to the ground. 
and pulling off a submission sometime in the first or second round. But the under two and a half at minus 105 plus money as well, plus 100 at uh, Pinnacle is, is very, very enticing. So that's something to look forward to. All right. Final prediction. I'm going to say Kyle Douglas to win this fight via second round submission. Alan Joban versus Jared Gooden. We got minus 140 on the returning Alan Joban and plus 120 on the uh, UFC newcomer Jared Gooden, I should say. A lot of people are getting him confused with Jared Gordon, who fights at 145 pounds and sometimes 155. But this is Jared Gordon fighting at 170 pounds uh, and fights like an absolute tank. But let's start off on the other side with uh, Alan Joban. Uh, and one thing I do want to uh, iterate actually is this fight did open at a pick'em, and now the money is slowly coming in on Alan Joban. And I kind of understand that once you really start to run the tape. However, there are a lot of question marks regarding the X factors around Alan Joban. So he hasn't fought since uh, April of 2019 at UFC 236, where he lost a close decision a split decision albeit to Dwight Grant uh they went at it for three rounds uh, a lot of movement a lot of pitter-patter shots Dwight Grant did land probably the most significant blow in the second round when he kind of hurt Allen uh but outside of that it was just a lot of pitter-patter back and forth we did see Joe Ben go for a takedown near the ending of the fight to hopefully steal the victory for him unfortunately for him it was not enough to get the victory there but um one of, one of the issues here with Alan Joben has always been the, the questioning of his chin. A lot of people are saying the guy's very chinny, you know, um, you know, almost anybody can knock him out. And, and I find that to be a little bit interesting because he's only been finished with punches twice in his career. Once by Nico Price, who pretty much can put anybody out. And then Albert Tumenov, if a lot of people remember him, he was a very high-level fighter. I'm not sure why the UFC let him go, but uh, he is a guy that, you know, could put out a lot of guys as well um but in terms of getting knocked down he's been knocked down three times in his ufc career he's had how many fights one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve twelve fights and he's been knocked down three times obviously by um nico price by albert Tumenov, and then matt dwyer who's a very long and rangy fighter so i could absolutely see why and how he got knocked down there but He's managed to not get knockdowns against uh, Bilal Muhammad, Mike Perry, uh, Ben Saunders, Gunnar Nelson, even Dwight Grant, who kind of hits quite hard himself too. You know, if you guys remember, Dwight Grant rocked Daniel Rodriguez before he was able, uh, before he eventually got taken out by Daniel Rodriguez. But Grant definitely has a lot of power behind his punches. Uh, and Alan Joban ate a lot of them. So uh, let me just dispel that for you guys real quick. Uh, but another X factor here is also Alan Joban's age. He's been off for, you know, it's nearing two years now. It's just under five months from two years. Uh, so, okay, let's say a year and a half. I'm kind of reaching by saying two years, trying to over-exaggerate this shit. But, uh, yeah, he's been off for a year and a half. But that's probably not the best thing to do when you're 38 years old. Not only is he 38, but he's turning 39 three or four days after. So the fight is on the 25th. First, yep, the fight's on the 21st. He turns 39 on the 25th. So he's definitely getting up there in age. And something even John Annick says in that fight against Dwight Grant is, you know, the, the, the clock is ticking. He's 37 years old at the time. Um, and, and the clock is definitely ticking on him for actually to, to, to go out there and really put a stamp on his career and try to make one last run. And I think in the welterweight division, it's going to be very, very difficult for Alan Joban to go out there and get a title to beat a guy like Kobe Covington or to beat a guy like Kamaru Usman. Anybody in those top three, top four, Hamza Chmaev, who's making a, a run now too, as well as, um, 
Leon Edwards. I, I just don't see Alan Joban going out there and beating guys like that. See, that's that's the difficult part. Now, Jordan Gooden, on the other end, 26 years old. He's a prospect on the up and up, but he's had a ton of experience. We're talking about a guy that has over 21 fights, and he's 26 years old. He made his MMA pro MMA debut August of 2015, and in five years, just over five years, he's managed to crew over 21 fights. That's a crazy amount of fights. During this COVID time, uh, he fought uh, a guy, well, this was right before COVID, maybe two or three weeks before COVID. He beat a guy that was 3-13, and 13, a guy named Jay Jackson. He rear naked choked him pretty much a minute and a half into the fight. And then he goes out there in Titan FC in July and uh, finishes a guy named Trent McCowan. <clears throat> I'm slightly questioning the level of competition that he's been fighting of late. Even the fight before the Jay Jackson fight, he fought a guy named Marcel Stamps, who was 4-1, uh, looked absolutely gassed after that first round and and it seemed uh he tapped more so to exhaustion than that actual guillotine choke yeah the guillotine choke was 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 tight for sure but it was a standing guillotine choke he didn't really even look for a way out really uh and he tapped that choke uh one thing that gooden looks like he has uh you know he looks like he has power looks he has looks like he has solid stand-up but it does also look like that he does uh have some possible gas tank issues and uh you know joe banner has a solid gas tank on him and if he's able to kind of pick apart Jared Gooden from the outside and, and use his movement, uh, he could potentially, you know, pull off a decision victory here. Um, I tried getting into the Stephen Newell fight, wasn't able to access that. Uh, the Bruno Oliveira fight, that was that one was very quick for Jared Gooden. Gets absolutely starched by Bruno Oliveira, uh, but then has come back three straight fights and, uh, you know, now he finds himself in the UFC. He was actually supposed to fight Dwight Graham back in August. Unfortunately, I he had to pull out due to some sort of injury. And now here he is coming back in against Alan Joban. So um, personally, I think it's early Jared Gooden or late Alan Joban. Um, I wish I could see that Stephen Newell fight to really get a feel on on Jared Gooden's cardio and how he was able to pull out a, a decision victory against a guy that was 9-0. Let's see what Stephen Newell is up to now and what his record has been like. Nine and two, so he's only had one more fight since that Jared Gooden fight, and he got knocked out in a minute. Um, oh, that was that was just last week, actually, too. Um, yeah, this is a tough one because there, again, there's so many question marks regarding Alan Joban, what he's going to look like after coming back from so long, and then Jared Gooden, he's you know a UFC newcomer, um, skeptical competition, at least in his last three fights. But I don't want to shit on that too much because the guy has over 21 fights and he's fought a, you know Bruno Oliveira, Bruno Oliveira, Mike Graves. Um, Micah Miller, if you guys remember him, I believe he is Cole Miller's brother, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, the guy's been around. He has a ton of experience. So, but like, if you have more than 15 fights, you should probably be in the UFC at this point in time, especially if you have a, if you have a solid record behind that too. So, um, man, I personally, I'm just going to pass on this fight in total. I like, I don't even like the total either, the over under, like, Again, if it's under, it's probably Jared Gooden winning. If it's over, it's probably Alan Joban winning. Um, I'm going to go the safe route. I'm going to go with the UFC vet. I'm going to go with Jer uh, Alan Joban. But in terms of betting this fight, I'm staying the fuck away. Like, I really want to see what Jared Gooden's made of. He could absolutely go in there and start Alan Joban in that first minute. But again, I, I'm I'm buying into the the possible, you know, the the... the the lack of disrespect, the lack of respect people are giving Joe Ben's uh, durability. Um, I'm uh, I'm kind of dispelling that just as I did earlier in this breakdown. So once again, I'll go with Alan Joe Ben. Uh, you know, kind of sticking and moving. 
possibly even taking this fight to the ground, you know, just as he did late in that Dwight Grant fight. Maybe he tries to nullify the uh, the power of Jared Gordon by doing that, getting this fight to the ground or pushing him up against the cage, whatever it is, trying to suck those muscles dry, trying to trying to reduce the amount of power coming back to him from the night train. But uh, yeah, I'll go with Joe Ben. Um, kind of hurts to say that, especially if, <laughs> uh, with uh, my guy Dan Levy over there at Best Fight Picks. Uh, you know, he sponsored Jared Gooden for a long time. I believe they're boys. I believe he's trained with them a couple of times too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah. I want to see a little bit more from the guy. You know what I mean? I, it's tough for me to bet a guy that seems to have sketchy cardio. People can say what they want about me betting Al-Hassan last time, but I was absolutely sure that he's going to get that first-round knockout. Unfortunately, I went the other way. But, uh, yeah, I think Alan Jopan just has a little bit more uh, ways to get this fight done with. Um, but I, I, I'll be the first one to say I'd be absolutely... I'm scared of the fact that he's 38, 39 years old um, and has been out of the cage for as long as he has, especially against an up-and-coming hungry guy like Jared Gooden. So my official pick is going to be Alan Joban, but by no means am I confident in it. Daniel Rodriguez versus Nicholas Dalby. Uh, currently no lines out for this fight. I'm expecting Daniel Rodriguez to drop as the favorite. I'm thinking maybe minus 150 all the way up to minus 175-ish range. Uh, not 100% sure, but uh, we'll see what it, maybe even 200. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see that 200 line either on uh, Daniel Rodriguez here. So let's start off with him, who's had a little bit of a tumultuous run recently in terms of being able to secure fights. So he was, uh, he's calling off a victory over Dwight Grant, which took place August 22nd. Uh, and if most people remember, that was the night he was supposed to fight Takashi Sato and Dwight Grant was supposed to fight somebody else. Unfortunately, both of their opponents pull out and they're just like, you know what? Let's get it going. Let's get it cracking. Let's get a fight going. And uh, they ended up uh, booking the fight pretty much on the fight day. Luckily, both of them had made weight, so they were both eligible to fight. Uh, and they, they came together and they had a very solid fight. I'm not 100% sure if it got fight of the night, but it should have. Uh, considering the amount of, you know, it was only a two and a half minute fight, but the amount of strikes that were thrown and the the amount of damage that was dished out by both guys, absolutely phenomenal. We saw Dwight Grant first have success in terms of landing a big shot, rocking Daniel Rodriguez, and then we saw Rodriguez, you know, recover from that and, you know, a minute later get his own finish. So uh, we saw the resiliency and durability of Daniel Rodriguez in that fight. And every fight, this guy continues to impress me, you know, Going into his short notice fight against Tim Means, uh, I was expecting, you know, a guy that was, you know, a little bit one-dimensional, um, you know, mainly just looking for the knockout shots. But as we've seen his UFC career kind of come come together, uh, he looks like a pretty polished striker. Like his jab is beautiful. His hooks are beautiful. Some nice kicks too. Something that he likes to show off on his IG as well is that he like that he works his wrestling and grappling a lot, and that's not something that we've seen too much from him in his UFC career thus far. I feel like we're actually going to get that tested a little bit here against Nicholas Dalby, uh, who, in my opinion, needs to get this fight to the ground to have some some success. We've seen him take a ton of damage, not to mention uh, Jesse Ronson last time around, rocking him, dropping him, and then finishing him with a rear naked choke. Um, but you got to question the durability of uh, Dalby here, especially against a very heavy puncher like Daniel Rodriguez, and especially a finisher like Daniel Rodriguez, too. Uh you know, Dalby did have the advantage last time around being the much bigger guy uh, against Jesse Ronson. Um, 
you know, Bronson, normally a lightweight, uh, and Dalby, you know, physically, you could see he was much, much bigger than him, but he had a lot of trouble getting Justin Bronson to the ground, and then he was doing decent on the feet, you know, th- threw a lot of good leg kicks, uh, had some solid combinations, but it was a little slip up in that instance where he got dropped, where he just exchanged in the fire a little bit too long, and if he does that against Daniel Rodriguez, it's going to be, you know, a tough night for him. Uh, I don't expect him to trade there, but I do expect him to get caught at a certain point. Uh, I don't expect him to just put out a, a full complete game plan for 15 minutes here against Daniel Rodriguez who every single fight this kid's confidence is growing and uh, I can't wait to see you know how he fully evolves into the fighter that he's just set out to be so um I gotta give the striking advantage to Daniel Rodriguez I we don't know the extent of Rodriguez's ground game yet so if Dalby does decide to take this to the ground I'm interested to see how that plays out um but I, I like Rodriguez here I'm not 100% sure if I'm, I'm gonna be betting him yet I gotta see what the line looks like when it comes out but uh I do expect him to get the better of the feet um you know if Dalby if he sticks on the outside and tries to implement his grappling and put together a complete MMA game he could make a make an argument that he could pull away with this fight but uh the, the Alex Cowboy Oliveira fight was rough too like he was getting hurt a lot in there it just turned out you know that he was always able to get that extra gear get that reversal get that takedown at the end to kind of secure the fight for himself but uh Rodriguez I think it's going to be a little bit harder to pull off against him um yeah the, Rodriguez like we, we've seen him just put together such beautiful performances with his hands that I feel like he'll be able to catch Dalby on the way in uh and Dalby's gonna you know he's not gonna be the bigger guy here so he's 5'11 74 and a half inch reach whereas Daniel Rodriguez 6'1 with a 74 inch reach so size slightly on Daniel Rodriguez's side um and and I like Rodriguez here. I, I can't wait to see how he continues to evolve, like I said earlier. Um, and I truly want to see his grappling game too. Let's see that tested here. Let's see Nicholas Dobby land a takedown and let's see what Rodriguez looks like off of his back. Or let's see at least what Rodriguez's takedown defense look, looks like when it's tested against a guy like Nicholas Dobby. But then again, you got to kind of take some points away from Dalby's wrestling since he was not able to get Jesse Ronson down last time so that's something to keep in mind here but I do like Daniel Rodriguez like I said I feel like he's going to have the crisper hands I feel like he's going to be doing the better damage uh he'll be able to time the 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 entries from Nicholas Dalby and maybe land some good shots and keep Dalby a little bit hesitant on the outside maybe throw in a couple leg kicks here and there as well to kind of slow down Dalby and his uh you know you know bouncing around style that he normally has so uh I'll go with Daniel Rodriguez here I feel like he'll get it done on the feet I can see him getting the knockout too so I'll go with Daniel Rodriguez to win this either by first or second knockout uh yeah, I, I like Rodriguez here. I, I can't wait to see uh, him face other guys, you know, maybe a little bit more step up. And again, he's 33 years old. He'll be 34 in December. So he's really going to have to get it going, get this get this run going uh, and start stacking up the names. And Nicholas Dobby is a decent name and, and another step forward uh, to, to securing himself in that welterweight division. So once again, I'll go with Daniel Rodriguez to win this fight via first or second round KO. Antonina Shevchenko versus Ariane Lipsky. We got minus 155 on Antonina and plus 130 on the Queen of Violence. And this fight has really pretty much stayed where the opener had it at roughly around minus 160 for Shevchenko. We did see a little bit of love for Ariane Lipsky come in. However, it's all still 
uh, Shevchenko and a lot of people are in agreement in that. So uh, let's start off with Ariana Lipsky, who seemed to have reversed her uh, unfortunate start to the UFC. You know, she comes into the UFC, loses a decision to uh, Joanne Collywood. Then she goes out there and gets out grappled by Molly McCann. And then everybody's just going out there and willing to write off Ariane Lipsky now. Then she goes out there, gets a super short notice fight against Isabel de Padua, who stepped in for, I believe, yeah, it was uh, Veronica Macedo on weigh-in day. We saw de Padua. I think she was there to like corner somebody else. And uh, luckily for her, she was able to come out with a fight, get a paycheck, even though it was lost. But she still gets to walk home with a cool eight grand, 10 grand, whatever it is. But we did see uh, Lipsky do a good job of, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, going out there and get a solid decision victory over de Padua. Then she comes back as, I believe it was a pick em. If I'm not mistaken, she was actually the dog here, uh, minus 130 favorite. But I was surprised at the amount of love that was coming in on Luana Carolina. And uh, I had to take a shot on Lipsky at that point. And luckily it came through. And maybe not the way that I expected it to come through. But that knee bar that she was able to secure on Carolina was just beautiful. Not much happened in that fight in terms of being able to take or extract something from that and say, okay, this is what's going to happen in the Shevchenko fight. But, you know, it only lasts a minute and a half. She lands a beautiful body shot, uh, which kind of like... Well, it, it was kind of a counter because Luana was throwing a kick. Um, Lipsky throws a punch to the body. It gets Carolina off balance, drops her to the ground, and we see Lipsky follow her to the ground. Um, it seemed like Carolina was almost reversing the position. Then we see uh, Lipsky grab the knee and just absolutely torque it, get an immediate tap, and she gets a, a knee bar victory. Um, Obviously, this is going to be much more uh, a much tougher out uh, against Anthony Shevchenko, and this might be a, a fight that mainly stays on the feet. You know, um, I, I wouldn't be too. I'd be actually surprised if we saw Shevchenko go out there and try to just impl implement a grapple-heavy game plan. You know, that was her uh, demise in her last fight against Catelyn Chukagian, where we saw a completely uncharacteristic Chukagian go out there and just absolutely just smother Shevchenko for three rounds. And she had a lot of close submission attempts, but we did see Shevchenko fight out of pretty much every single one of them but still lose a decision victory where, you know, Shevchenko just seemed lost almost. Like, Chukagian, uh, as much flack as she gets, she is a she is a bit of a higher-level jiu-jitsu player compared to the rest of that division. So that was a solid performance on Chukagian's part. Before that, we did see uh, uh, Shevchenko pull off a submission victory over Lucy Pudilova in a transition that was absolutely beautiful where she just took the back of Pudilova. It looked like Pudilova was going to be able to to the reverse the position herself but we saw Antonina just sneak her arm under her her neck and then slowly start to squeeze and we saw Pudilova just face force just go out and it was probably one of the more uh you know aesthetically pleasing uh submissions to see just because of the the, the veracity of it. it was it was a beautiful rear naked choke from Shevchenko and then obviously before that we saw her go out there and out get out grappled by Amada Ferry now I don't think that Lipsky will be capable of doing that type of game plan where she just goes out there continuously take Shevchenko down and just controlling her because I do think Shevchenko's jiu-jitsu is decent like it's good enough and I think it's on par with Lipsky's actually um, if this fight stays on the feet though that's where I'm really intrigued to see who gets the advantage um, I do leave Shevchenko I feel like she has the, the more polished striking you know Lipsky she's the queen of violence for a reason she likes using her elbows she's like, she likes using her Muay Thai but when she's pressured and, and opponents are having success against her we might see her start to falter and that's where I think that Shevchenko will start to take over a little bit um you know, I, I was a fan of uh, of Lipsky, um, but like uh, against competition like this, where I feel like she'll be outgunned on the feet and she won't be able to have much success on the ground. I do live, I do lean Shevchenko, and I do understand why she's at the minus one fifty ish favorite that she's at. Um, I don't feel the most, uh, you know. 
I don't feel so compelled to go out there and actually bet Shevchenko at minus 150. Now, if this line started to get closer, that might be a little bit more sexy and more appealing to me. But uh, yeah, I do think Shevchenko wins this fight. Um, but this fight should tell us a lot about uh, Lipsky for sure. Like, this is a legitimate test. Lana Carolina was not a test. Like, that was, uh, like, I remember, I forgot who it was, but one of my Twitter friends goes out there, and during fight week, puts out a video of Luana Carolina doing, like, the worst types of push-ups that you could ever see. Like, her stick arms just barely getting her up. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, if you do push-ups to completion and that you're able to actually, you know, c- complete a legitimate push-up that you should go out there and win your fights or if you're not able to do a push-up that you're going to lose your fights but like small things like that does kind of sway me a little bit in terms of just saying okay Lipsky should be able to beat a girl like this and even on tape I wasn't fully impressed with what I saw from Luana Carolina so uh, it played right into Lipsky's game nobody not a lot of people thought that she'd pull off a knee bar in that but uh, it is what it is she gets the victory a minute and a half into that fight but I still like Shevchenko in this fight I feel like she'll be cleaner on the feet uh, I feel like she she will have a size advantage as well so we got 5868 inch reach for Shevchenko and 5667 inch reach for Lipsky so slightly taller for Shevchenko uh but I think th- yeah th- this is a solid spot for Shevchenko to get a victory uh especially on the same night as her sister defending her title uh and who should be you know who should win that fight pretty decisively as well so I do like uh Shevchenko uh kind of lucky that we probably won't be hearing Valentina's just annoying uh you know cheering every time that Shevchenko or every time that uh, Antonina lands a fucking shot so that'll be nice to not have to hear especially in an empty you know arena or the, the apex i believe it's going to be at so um yeah i do like chef Chanko. I again i think she's cleaner on the feet uh she might have the jiu-jitsu advantage as well if i'm not mistaken um but i truly see this fight mainly playing out on the feet and uh, i think from distance we'll see chef Chanko really start to pick apart lipsky um but it could be a closer fight than the odds indicate but i do think i still ed- i don't think i know that i'm still edging chef Chanko here so uh, i'm taking antonina to win this fight by decision but it could be it could be some shit there should it could be some fireworks too that could potentially get this fight to go under but uh i'll go the safer side i'll say shevchenko via you know outpointing for 15 minutes uh and uh you know just wanting a good fight and she could again i do think that we could see shevchenko start to initiate the grappling here uh to you know if if the fight is kind of close she could kind of close the distance i think she'll be the stronger one too so she might be able to get the better positions in the clinch and then potentially get this fight to the ground and see what she can do from there but uh yeah i i think overall uh antonina is the better fighter and she is the one i'm going to be taking to win this fight via decision joaquin buckley versus jordan Wright. we got a minus 265 on the highlight sensation Joaquin Buckley and plus 225 on the Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan Wright and uh, the over under under one and a half obviously minus 150 though the world is expecting both these guys to kind of go to war here uh fight doesn't go to decision is minus 505 let's start off with the Beverly Hills Ninja who used to be the butt of the joke going into the contender series when he lost uh 40 seconds into that fight against anthony fluffy hernandez um going into that fight though he was nine and oh going out there and completely starching everybody that was in his way but once you really look into the guys that were in his way uh you start to see why people were calling him king can crusher so in nine of those fights all nine of his opponents combined for eight wins eight wins nine opponents how many losses five 15 36 41 9 8 and 41 there's a reason everybody called him king crown king 
can crusher. I mean, let's try to say that quick five times. King can crusher. King can crusher. King can crusher. Anyway, there's a reason everybody called him King Can Crusher going into that Andre Fluffy Hernandez fight. So obviously he goes out there, loses that fight. Then he comes back. He takes uh, a year and a half off, changes his training camp. He was initially at Jackson Wink, moves over to a gym called Dynamics MMA. I believe they are located in California. Let me just confirm that real quick. Yeah, they're in Los Angeles, California. Well, you would hope somebody nicknamed the Beverly Hills uh, Ninja to be, uh, you know, in California. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he changes gyms, uh, goes out there and finishes Gabriel Checo, who's a very legitimate opponent. So that one was very, very respectable. Uh, and then we saw him go out there and absolutely decimate Ike Villanueva, uh, in his UFC debut back in August. Now here he is against Joaquin Buckley. And I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned for my own well-being because I'm actually warming up to the kid now. You know, I mean, he used to be, like I said, he used to be the butt of the joke, but now he's somebody that uh, seems like they have a little bit of talent. You know, he moves well. Um, he's strong. He's big. He's fast. Um, he has decent technique. Um, the thing before always used to be, okay, he doesn't really have the greatest competition. And it seemed like once there was finally somebody that could go out there and challenge him, kind of like Anthony Hernandez, he would kind of wilt. But, so he loses to Anthony Hernandez. But then he goes out there and beats two game opponents in Gabriel Checo and Ike Villanueva. And that kind of like, okay, that's making me reconsider what kind of fighter this guy is in my mind. Um, he's a huge dude. It, it really blew me away to 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 realize how big this guy actually is. Uh, in terms of metrics, he's 6'2 with a 77-inch reach. And with uh, Joe King Buckley, we're talking about a guy that's 5'10 with a 73-inch reach. So Jordan Jordan Wright is definitely going to have a, uh, an evident size advantage here. Um, and it, it absolutely makes sense. Um, this fight is going to be contested at middleweight. He used to fight at 205. Uh, well, not used to, but his last fight against Ike Villanueva was at 205. Um, yeah, the, the kid could potentially be a problem now that he, it seems like he got his mind right. You know, he looks like he's super confident in there. Uh, it looks like he... He knows that he belongs there, uh, which I believe is is a huge part, especially in in MMA. Like a lot of people don't talk about it as much, but the mental game is is huge. Like if you don't believe that you belong there, then you're not going to really uh, perform to the best of your abilities, and you're just going to be like, okay, you know, I didn't really end up belonging here after all. But this fight against Joaquin Buckley is going to show us a lot about Jordan Wright and if he's actually there, because I believe this will be one of the first opponents that can match kind of his athleticism, his speed. Um, and is not scared of him. That's that's one big thing that I, I believe he had an advantage of uh, over most of his opponents earlier in his career. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, on the other hand, um, well, let, let's just finish up with Jordan. Though he, you know, like I said, explosive, uh, good footwork, um, taekwondo background. I believe he has uh, moves in and out very well. Uh, solid kickboxing. Um, still want to see more of his jujitsu, but he does have a couple of ch uh, chokes uh, on his record. But again, against questionable competition. So that's something I'd like to know more about. I'm not sure how much we'll find out about that here against uh, Jordan uh, Joaquin Buckley, who's probably going to want to keep this fight on the feet, just as Jordan Wright probably will want to. Um, I'm not counting out the fact that we might see Jordan Griffin try to take this to, or Jordan Wright take this to the ground uh, to potentially have a, a bigger advantage there. But uh, Joaquin Buckley has shown decent get ups in his past. Um, 
Man, this one's tough. I think, first of all, I think the line is a little bit too wide. And I think it's a little bit skewed due to the the impact that his last knockout has you know he instantly became a viral sensation let's not forget going into that impa kasangana fight he was the one that was the plus 210 underdog going into the fight right now it's jordan wright or yeah jordan wright why do i always want to say griffin anyway uh it's jordan Wright now going in there as the as the massive uh underdog and it makes no sense like joaquin buckley yeah he has some knockout power but you know, he seems sometimes when he's dealing with guys that give uh, a little bit more of a or are bigger than him, he kind of falters in trying to close the uh, gap and and land those big shots. You know, he had that issue with Kevin Holland. He obviously took that fight on super short notice, but we could see in that fight that you know when Kevin Holland was fighting at distance and moving a lot, it was a lot harder for Joaquin Buckley to really land those big bombs. Obviously, the Kasangani fight from right off the bat, we could tell okay, this fight was wide, widely incorrect in terms of the odds. As uh, Joaquin Buckley definitely went out there and took the first round, and then in the second round, he goes out there and throws that jumping, spinning back kick, which again makes him a, a complete viral sensation. Now, I think um, just like another uh, fight later on in this card, the odds are just heavily skewed due to the last performance of this uh, of a fighter now here with Joaquin Buckley obviously that that kick makes him so famous now that everybody wants to go out there and bet him and think he is a knockout sensation that everything that he touches is just going to fall asleep now and the there are questions about Jordan Wright's durability obviously uh, Fluffy Fluffy Hernandez was able to put him out with relative ease in 40 seconds but you know has he made any improvements in that we're not sure um the play that I'm looking at here is actually the under one and a half, as I do believe uh, the, this new style of uh, Jordan Wright that we're seeing is he kind of really initiates the the strikes and really wants to make his opponent work and kind of intimidate them with the power that's coming his way. Um, and man, I, I think that we might see uh, Wright kind of successful in, in keeping away from the power of Joaquin Buckley. Like, I think we'll see him use more kicks. I think we'll see him kind of teep uh, 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 Joaquin Buckley a little bit more. I think we'll see him, you know, land at range and then, you know, get out of the way, pivot out of the way of the big shots coming his way from from Buckley. But Buckley is just one of those guys that, like, he, he loads up on a lot of his shots. He Sometimes he'll blitz and, and try to move forward with his shots, but he, he needs to really close the distance consistently to be able to land his big shots. And Jordan Wright, in my opinion, does a decent job of getting out of the way of big strikes and, and moves quite well. So I think this fight should be lined much, much closer. Um, now, do I have the balls to go out there and bet Jordan Wright? Not 100% sure about that. What I would probably bet, though, is the, the under one and a half, as I do believe Jordan Wright has a ton of power that he could absolutely land on Buckley and put him out. You know, Kevin Holland, not really known for the greatest amount of power, but he was able to do it. Obviously, that was more of an accumulative amount of damage that he had to endure to finally get knocked out in that third round. And then Jackie Gosh was one that uh, put him out. That was over four years ago, though. So, um, both guys have been put out. Both guys have immense power, but I do think that Jordan Wright could come with a better game plan to lend his power shots to to greater effect without taking as much uh, damage in return. So uh, yeah, this is one where I would refrain from parlaying uh, Joaquin Buckley as I feel like there's still tr- there's still question marks around him. Um, but this is a fight where we'll truly see you know where Jordan Wright is because Ike Villanueva. Decent opponent, but he doesn't have the type of, uh, like, he didn't have the type of um, bravado or intimidation factor that was really needed to to see if it would shake Jordan Wright. Like, Jordan Wright knew he had him mentally, physically, athletically, 
and every facet of the game, Jordan Wright had Ike Villanova beat, and he did exactly that once he stepped into the cage. Now with Joaquin Buckley, he can match Jordan Wright in some of those spots. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But once again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jordan Wright. I think Jordan Wright gets it done, probably first or second round KO. I can't believe those words are actually coming out of my mouth, but I, that's what I truly believe after running the tape here. Um, again, a lot, a lot, a lot of recency bias here on Joaquin Buckley and and him being a viral sensation. But uh, Jordan Wright might be able to get a viral sensation of his own going here against Joaquin Buckley. So uh, once again, I'll go with Jordan Jordan Wright to win this fight probably in the first or early second round. Um, but yeah, please, 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 please do not parlay Joaquin Buckley in the spot because I be- believe that that line is just far too skewed due to that uh, crazy finish that he had of Impa Kasanganai. And everybody say it with me. It's Impa Kasanganai. All right. Once again, let me finish off this prediction for you guys. Jordan Wright via first or second round KO. Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval. We got minus 185 for Moreno and plus 160 for Raw Dog Royval. And uh, the fight doesn't go to the decision. Props just recently dropped and we got plus 115 on the fight to not go to decision. So let's actually start off with the newer UFC fighter, uh, Brandon Royval, who's had two UFC fights now and he's gone 2-0. Um, both fights, super entertaining. Uh, the Tim Elliott fight, a back and forth, scrambling, grappling exchange, pretty much all eight minutes of that fight, eight minutes and 18 seconds specifically. And we see, uh, you know, Tim Elliott kind of gas himself out almost, not even gas himself out, but like Roy Val pushes such a chaotic pace that uh, it almost forces opponents to, to gas out. So Tim Elliott succumbed to that, uh, was going for a bunch of uh, submissions, uh, wasn't able to pull them off against Roy Val, and then Roy Val eventually gets that arm triangle choke midway through the second round. Uh, then the Kai Car France fight, absolute bonkers fight where um you know th- that first exchange one of those first exchanges where uh kai car france lands a beautiful shot on brandon royval royval looks okay but then he takes a step forward kind of stumbles we say we see kai car france kind of lunge forward and, and try to take advantage and we see fucking royval throw a beautiful spinning back uh, elbow lands perfectly on kai car france and drops him too um one of the crazier exchanges that we're going to see all year but uh royval is just all action all the time the guy just does not stop moving forward his cardio is off the chain um his jiu-jitsu is off the chain too and he may not be as credentialed as as a, as much as a guy like uh, Juicy Formiga, uh, you know that's Moreno's last opponent. But I still think he could uh, possess some threats here to Moreno in that jujitsu realm. Um, yeah, the, 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 I, I love Raw Dog. You know, I mean, I, I love his style. Uh, I like to call him Mini Ferguson because uh, a lot of people are kind of. Um, uh, comparing him to Nate Diaz, and I don't really understand that. Like, it's clear that he's more like Tony Ferguson in terms of just being so chaotic, uh, not really having the greatest striking techniques or the striking mechanics, but still going out there and throwing like solid shots uh, down the middle, solid kicks, spinning shit, uh, and then his jujitsu is just pretty offensive at all times um so it's it's super fun to watch the kid fight uh this is a super tough fight for his third fight in the ufc you know even the kai car france fight that was the second fight in 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 the ufc for him and he came in as a plus 170 dog i remember cashing on that too that was one of my prouder moments this year as well because everybody's like yo kai car france is going to go out there and just starch this kid he has nothing on the feet but the issue with kai car france is just as we saw in the brandon moreno fight is 
when somebody brings the fight to him and isn't just accepting of the fact that Kai Car Friends is just going to lunge in every now and then and land a couple shots and get out of the way, uh, you know, guys that can push the pace against them kind of can create chaos uh, are way more successful against Kai Car Friends, which is why I think that Roy Val was, uh, you know, I think he's a little bit more chaotic than Brandon Moreno, which is why Roy Val was able to get the finish there. Beautiful jumping guillotine that he was able to secure on Kai Car Friends. It's hilarious because Kai, you know, clearly going for the takedown and it's, you know, Technically, as a wrestler, he did the right thing in terms of trying to like pick up Roy, uh, Roy Val. And uh, they, they usually, it's it's weird that the wrestlers do this, but they usually expose their neck to allow to, to create more force uh, and generate more power when you take an opponent down. But that was the exact time that Brandon Roy Val was like, oh, you're going to give me your neck? He's going to snatch it up, get, uh, you know, kind of drag Kai Car fans to the ground um, with that choke. And then uh, just readjust his footing to get a little bit more pressure on that choke, a little bit more torque, and he was able to get the submission there. So that was a, a beautiful choke and shows that he is pretty much ever dangerous. Now in this fight against Brandon Moreno, somebody actually pointed it out um, you know, uh, on my Twitter when I was talking about uh, I'm super excited for this fight. They said that Brandon Moreno is kind of a slightly better version of Brandon Royval. And I kind of agree. Um, my issue here, though, is what happens when Moreno deals with chaos just as he creates chaos, right? If not more. Like I said, Roy Val is just so good at at just, you know, pushing fighters and 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 getting them to make mistakes. Um, Moreno is kind of the same way, too, but I think just slightly more controlled chaos than what Brandon Roy Val brings to the table. Like we've seen a true resurgence from Brandon Moreno compared to when he originally came into the UFC after the Ultimate Fighter. If I'm not mistaken, he only had one or two fights outside of the UFC before he came back. So his last fight in the UFC was a loss to Alexandre Pantoja. Goes out there and beats uh, Michael Perez in round four at LFA 69. I believe that was for a title, hence the, the four rounds there. And then he comes right back to the UFC and draws against Askar Askarov. And if I were a lot of the people thought that Askarov would go out and win. Um, arguably, you could say that Brandon Moreno won that fight too. And I had money on Askar Askarov. You know, I thought he was going to go out there and dummy Moreno, but we did see a lot of improvements from him. And then in the Kai Car France fight, that even more cemented that, okay, this is a new version of Moreno. You know, he goes out there, throws wacky strikes, throws this unorthodox striking style that he has, but he still has the jiu-jitsu to go out there and back that up too. You know, the commentators were kind of mystified that he wasn't taking Kai down and as the fight started to play out you kind of understand why you know he he has this weird style of it's kind of unorthodox but he has this this stinging jab beautiful jab right down the middle uh but his movement is very unorthodox um you know likes to throw a lot of weird shit uh has some good kicks as well too uh and I love this this evolution that we've seen from Moreno and the Juicy Formiga fight another fight that kind of cemented the the progress and the improvements that Moreno is making you know to, to go out there and outstrike for me get the way he did to go out there and uh you know get some uh, get get the better of some of the scrambles against a super high level jiu-jitsu guy like formiga you know spinning out of the back he had uh, formiga had his back a couple times there and he did a really good job of scrambling out of those positions and then getting on top yeah there were some hairy situations kind of even like the the last minute of the the third round 
where Formiga pretty much had the, the full mount but was not able to really land enough. And I think he was just too scared to kind of peel himself off of Moreno to land some damage or look for a submission because he was scared that from, uh, Moreno would go out there and, and, and just scramble and, and create chaos like I'm talking about. That's a theme of this breakdown because both guys, Moreno and Royval, are, are masters of creating chaos and kind of... Um, uh, you know capitalizing on that so i think formigo was a little bit too scared to really let go in that last minute he wanted to secure the position and thought that would have been enough to actually get the judge's decision turns out unanimous for moreno but if you look at mma decisions there's a lot of fight uh, a lot of fans and even media that were very split on this fight personally i thought moreno did enough to win that fight um the kai car france fight was probably his his best work to date um but to get a victory over Formiga the way that he did was very, very impressive. Now, I'm staying away from this fight in terms of picking a side here, but I wouldn't be mad at picking the under 2.5 if uh, if that's actually what it drops at. Uh, I'm pretty certain that's what it will drop at. You know, the, the fight doesn't go decision is currently plus 115, which makes me believe that the under 2.5 will probably be around plus 125, plus 130. And I wouldn't mind that spot here given the style of both of these guys. You know, my, 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 my read is the fact that Moreno will probably be crisper on the feet, landing the better shots on the feet. But when it does, get to the chaotic parts i i don't know i feel like i lean roy val in that situation a little bit more you know moreno is a brown belt but i i and even juicy formiga the way that moreno dealt with formiga and got out of those situations i feel as though that roy val puts himself into more danger when we're talking about the the jiu-jitsu aspect and doesn't mind you know doing a couple things that maybe aren't technically the correct things to do but still the things that will allow him to uh you know to create winning opportunities for himself so um the the pick is going to be moreno because uh, i do agree with what that uh, person on twitter said that roy uh, moreno is probably the slightly better version here especially on the feet uh but uh yeah i'm not willing to pay minus 185 on moreno especially against a guy like uh Roy Val, who in my opinion is ever improving uh, and and is just such a wild card. Like you really don't know what you're truly going to get with this guy. Um, but I, but I love well. You do know what you're going to get with him, and that's chaos. But uh, uh, yeah, I love uh, I love Moreno in this spot. I'm a huge Raw Dog fan. I'm kind of I'm going to be I'm going to be cheering for him here. Uh, but in terms of a bet, you gotta you know you gotta set aside the biases. I don't think that there's enough. Uh, you know, the, the, there's just not enough confidence on my side that Moreno is that much better than Royval. Like, if this fight was closer to maybe a minus 120, minus 130 for Moreno, I'd be a little bit more, uh, you know, inclined to to make that Moreno bet. But I think the, the bet here could potentially be the under two and a half. So that's what I'll be keeping my eye out for once, this, once those lines start to drop. So I do like uh, uh, Moreno to win this fight. I'll say maybe second round sub or, or second round TKO. But uh, th this is a close fucking fight. It would not surprise me in the least bit if Roy Val um, uh, pulled off the victory here. So um, in terms of picking a side, like I said, once again, I'm not picking a side, uh, at least betting wise. But for predictions, that's what you guys are here for. I will go with Moreno. But in terms of a bet, I think the, the side that is best would probably be the under two and a half, as I believe, uh, you know, Roy Val is just 
is is just crazy. Even Moreno too. Like this fight could have the potential to be fight of the year, and I can't wait for that. In terms of like finishes and getting finished, like the, how many fight doesn't go to decisions have cash for Roy Val? Let's go over that real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven out of sixteen fights for him, and then for Brandon Moreno. Let's get that real quick. Um, I'm not sure why Topology doesn't really have uh, the complete method of victories uh, in their earlier careers. But even for Moreno, never been finished. So that's something to keep in mind here. So Roy Val is going to have a tough time to finish this guy. But I think if there is anybody that could finish Moreno, it's probably Roy Val with his chaotic style. But uh, uh, Moreno has won via finished 12 out of 17 victories so again i do like the under two and a half given both of their styles and the way that roy val just continuously brings the fight against his opponents uh and moreno's ability to or ever improving abilities as well uh in, in moreno but uh yeah this fight is crazy i can't stop talking about it it's probably going to be one of my longer breakdowns for this card because i'm so psyched for it i think it's a very high level fight and essentially it's actually the number one contender fight for the main event here. Uh, easily, you could throw in Moreno or Roy Val, uh, given whoever wins the, the main event here. So, uh, yeah, very, very high stakes fight, high level fights, and uh, high probability that it could produce us uh, the, the fight of the year contender here. So, uh, once, and, once and for all, we'll go with Moreno to win this fight via second round TKO or sub. Um but the under two and a half is probably the side that I'm leaning the most in terms of a bet. Shogun Hua versus Paul Craig. And this is a rematch of a fight that happened, I believe it was last year. Yeah, last year in November. So pretty much a full year later, we get in a rematch of this matchup that went to a draw the first time. A split draw at that. So one judge had it for Craig, one judge had it for Shogun, and one judge had it as a draw. Uh, and now here we are, pretty much one fight removed from both for both guys, uh, and we get the, sh the rematch. Uh, so Shogun in that amount of time has gotten a split decision victory over Hajirio Noguera. And then in the on the other side, uh, Paul Craig got a triangle choke victory over Gadzmurad and Tegulov. And if I'm not mistaken, yep, that was the same night. <laughs> so uh, both of these guys, their last three fights are all going to have happened on the same night. Obviously, two of them being against each other. And before I hit record on this episode, I actually tweeted out a little bit of a you know, kind of sarcastic, kind of real joke of, uh, you know, in 2021, we could potentially be getting a fight between Glover Teixeira and Shogun Hua for the belt. And, you know, a, a part of me is semi-joking, you know what I mean? Like, if a couple things just work out in certain ways, like if Glover Teixeira goes out there, actually gets the title fight against Jan Blachowicz and he gets the strap, Shogun goes out there, beats Paul Craig, he's 6-1-1, one one, maybe throw him another fighter, uh, and what if he gets past that guy too? We could be seeing Glover Teixeira, 42-year-old or 41-year-old Glover Teixeira fighting 38-year-old, or sorry, he's going to be 39 by then. Shogun's birthday is November 25th, but 39-year-old uh, Shogun Hua and 41-year-old Glover Teixeira, possibly 42 by the time they fight, fighting for a strap ridiculous crazy uh but let's talk about this fight because i'm actually going to be going the other way as much as i love shogun shogun is easily my favorite fighter of all time him and vanderlei silva easily tied for one and two but this is a tough fight for him just as it was the first time around um 
And luckily for him, in my opinion, I thought Paul Craig went out there and actually um, blew his gas tank in that first round. That first round, he had Shogun hurt. He had him rocked up against the cage, and he just unloaded everything, and he just could not put Shogun away. Like, everything that he was throwing was pretty much landing on the guard of Shogun. Shogun just had that high guard like this, and everything was pretty much just landing on his forearms. Uh, you know, if he had maybe gone for an uppercut or tried to split down the middle with the straights, he probably would have, you know, done enough damage on Shogun to actually drop him, but Shogun was just waiting and biding his time, and then every now and then he would go out there and throw, throw a hook himself too. Um, but yeah, I think that exchange really took it out of Paul Craig, and we saw it kind of uh, hinder him for the remainder of the fight you know shogun did a really good job of whenever he got the fight to the ground to just stay on top you know do enough damage from on top um you know it, it was minimal damage but it was damage nonetheless uh to actually nullify the the jujitsu of paul craig like we've seen paul craig go out there and submit uh magomed on late in the fight go out there and submit kennedy and zechuku late in the fights so it's, he's capable of doing those things but he was not capable of doing that against shogun hua that first time around now, I'm not the highest on Paul Craig either. So you're not going to find me going out there and, and you know, playing Paul Craig at minus 175. If you're giving minus 120, minus 130 for Paul Craig, I'd be a little bit more interested. But I don't think we're going to see that number. I do think that we're going to continue to see money come in on Craig and make this line even more unbettable. Just just for reference, uh, Paul Craig opened at minus 195, got up to minus 200, and now he's at that minus 175 range, which is where I think he'll roughly stay uh, leading up to this fight. So we know Paul Craig's game. He wants to get you to the ground, whether it's him on his back or him on top, preferably him on top, uh, and start to implement his jujitsu. That's where he's made most of his money. That's where he, you know, where where the the butter hits the bread. That's where he gets it done is with his jujitsu and Shogun black belt but he's mainly known for his striking so it's safe to say we know where both of these guys want to keep these fights but then again we have seen shogun in his past couple fights even in the nogara fight kind of accrue top position time against some of his opponents and not really have much respect for the jiu-jitsu or potential jiu-jitsu coming back his way i think he's going to have to be careful in this fight against craig if he doesn't want to go that way about it and even though he survived the first fight uh you know with spending time on top i think paul craig might have a little bit better of a an idea of how to you know um how to adjust and 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 use his gas tank rather than you know just going out there and blowing his water in the first round just as he did in that first fight um this is a tough one like i'm gonna have to go with the the, the youth and paul craig here uh but he's just not a fighter that i'm willing to trust uh and i think that this fight is potentially going to be a pass uh i i could see them setting the over under at two and a half um if that's the case I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on the under depending on what it is like if it's like plus 150 plus 160 for the under two and a half that's something that i'd probably have to hit like at, at a certain point shogun's durability or his issues his durability issues are going to start to show their faces again i mean he he the last time he got knocked out was to anthony smith in july of 2018 but before that the last time he got put out was in november of 2014 i can't believe it's been that long that long since he fought osp but um you know now he is what five one and one uh in his last seven fights and that's all the way dating back to his fight with no gear the first time around at ufc 190 in 2015 
but I think it's it's just a matter of time before his chin cracks again. And I'm not saying that Paul Craig is the guy that could potentially crack it, but there is a, a chance that he could. Like he doesn't have crazy power in his hands or anything. He's mainly a jiu-jitsu guy, so maybe a club and sub is probably what he's going to be looking for. But I'm not confident in either guy here. Like Shogun's a little bit too slow for my liking. His durability has held up, uh, but I think it's just a matter of time before that cracks. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why he continues to do it, but how can you blame the guy for wanting to continuously go out there and fight and potentially win? You know what I mean? He's 5-1-1 one one in his last seven. What can you tell him? He's not going out there and continuously getting starched. He's going out there and winning. Given his, uh, you know, the competition has been a little bit sketchy and those wins are, you know, Corey Anderson, who's not in the UFC anymore. I know Garrett twice. John Vellante, we know where his career is at. His loss was obviously to Anthony Smith. Uh, beats Tyson Pedro, which is probably his only, you know, like legitimate win that you could say that he has. But uh, even Tyson Pedro may be a bit of a flop in the light heavyweight division. And then he went to that draw with Paul Craig. And then once again, just as he started his winning streak, he goes out there and beats Noguera as well too via split decision. Just as he did, actually, the the, the second one uh, was uh, a unanimous. So this third one was a split. But yeah, I I, I like Paul Craig here, but not by a lot. Um, if anything, you gotta you gotta say that the value's on Shogun here because this is more of a minus one twenty ish type of fight for Paul Craig. Um, like I'd say fifty five forty four Paul Craig. Uh, but yeah, just just not enough confidence on him to to pay that type of juice on a guy that I just can't trust. So. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd consider what the over-under is at, um, but that's about it. Like, I'd probably pass on this fight in total, but you guys want a, an official prediction from me. I'm going to go with Paul Craig. I'm going to go with the youth. Um, I'm going to go with the potential of that jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I mean, with, with Paul Craig potentially landing something there. But, yeah, the, the confidence in, in Shogun is is ever dwindling, uh, and it's just a matter of time before his chin eventually cracks again. And uh, we 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 say sayonara. I think the next loss for Shogun is going to be his last because he's going to want to hang it up after that. So I know he's had a bunch of conversations with his family and his wife, and they want him to stop. But he keeps going out there, winning and collecting paychecks. So I'm sure he's just going to keep doing it until he finally takes another brutal loss, just as he did in the Anthony Smith fight, just as he did in the OSP fight six years ago. That's when people were banging on the drum to finally get him to re retire. But since that amount of time, he's put together a solid streak. Um, but yeah, that this could be the end of the line for him, especially if it's a devastating knockout, which I don't really see. I could see Paul Craig just submitting him. That's probably the way that I'm going to go. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Paul Craig to win this fight via decision, but just, oh, sorry, uh, via submission, uh, but just not the most uh, confident in the spot. My heart's praying for Shogun. Shogun's my, one of my favorite fighters, like I said, at the top of this breakdown. I hope he goes out and gets another dub somehow. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the brain and the, the logic here has got to be uh, Paul Craig. But the logical side of me is also saying minus 175 is not worth it for a guy of uh, Paul Craig's caliber. So once again, Paul Craig via submission. Caitlin Chukagan versus Cynthia Calvillo. We got minus 255 on Cynthia Calvillo and plus 215 on the blonde fighter. And the line actually opened up at minus 160 and we've seen steady movement and heavy movement, I should say, towards Cynthia Calvillo as this fight week has gone on. And I got to say, I can't really understand it. So let's start off with Cynthia Calvillo first and foremost. She is coming off of main event victory over Jessica I back in June. Uh, she was scheduled to fight Lauren Murphy back in October, I believe, at UFC 254. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Calvillo tested positive for COVID-19. So 
she got pulled out of Lauren Murphy gets a new opponent and now she gets rescheduled just over a month or just under a month later now against uh, Catelyn Chikagan um and uh, I, I'm a Calvillo believer. I think I think she has some talent. I think she's good for the division. Uh, great wrestling, good jujitsu, uh, improving striking. Uh, obviously, again working over there at Team Alpha Male and Justin Buckles and those guys. I'm not entirely sure what that relationship looks like now, just due to I believe Buckles having to leave Team Alpha Male. But uh, you know, she's had a, a decent career. Her only loss coming to uh, Carlos Esparza back in 2017. And now she's on a four-fight unbeaten streak, which includes a draw to Marina Rodriguez back in December at UFC DC, I believe it was. Um, now, the the reason I'm a little bit skeptical about this fight is due to the the massive size disadvantage that she's going to be at with Caitlin Chikagan, who has a five-inch height advantage, two-inch reach advantage, but obviously it's going to be much more pronounced once we see them side-to-side side, um, and facing off against each other. And... Uh, you know, Calvillo, sometimes she she gets a little bit too carried away with, you know, being too confident in her hands. And obviously that that's not a, really a bad thing at, at sometimes, but sometimes it is. And I think it would be bad against a girl like Kathleen Chikayan, who can make fights much, much closer just due to her movement. Uh, you know, her pitter-patter shots, her her nice one-twos down the middle, uh, extending far on them as well, too, to really, you know, punctuate the the height advantage that she has over most of her opponents. And, uh, you know, I think that that might cause Calvillo some trouble here. Now, Chukagin is a high-level jiu-jitsu player herself as well. I think most notably she's a brown belt under Henzo Gracie. Um, so I don't think that she'll have you know, a significant amount of trouble on the on the ground if it gets there, you know, if Calvillo is really able to close the distance, get in on the legs and take this fight to the ground. But I think a lot of people are just going to point to Chukagin's fight against Valentina Shevchenko, where Shevchenko was absolutely having her way on the ground with her. Now those, Calvillo and Shevchenko are two completely different fighters. So people need to recognize that first and foremost. And then obviously both fighters are coming, Calvillo and Chukagin are both coming off of completely different types of uh, fights their last time around. You know what I mean? Cynthia Calvillo goes out there and has a dominant five-round performance over Jessica I, where she did have some parts where, uh, or some portions of the fight where she was stumbling on the feet and this guy did land some good shots. Uh, but once Calvillo was able to get the fight to the ground, she did a really good job of uh, you know controlling, going for submission attempts, and then just landing damage of her own on the on the ground. Whereas Chukagin, on the other hand, is coming off a loss to Jessica Andrade uh, just under a month ago. I believe that was at no, that was the week before UFC 254. So October 17, she lost to Jessica Andrade via hook to the body, one of the worst uh, you know body shot finishes that we've ever seen. And you got to credit Caitlin Chukagin because. Uh, just as the referee was stopping it, uh, you saw her kind of like bounce back to her feet. And, you know, if if the referee had given her maybe a, a second or two seconds more, uh, that fight probably would not have been stopped given, you know, there's only five seconds going into that second round or five seconds left uh, in that first round. Now, uh, Chukagin is one and two in her last three fights. Uh, obviously, those two is uh, one of them coming to Valentina Shevchenko, and then obviously most recently Jessica Andrade. But the fight in between that, that was she has a win sandwiched in there uh, over Antonia Shevchenko, where we saw her absolute domination on the floor, where she was able to just go out there and repeatedly take Shevchenko down and just absolutely control her. Uh, you know, no no real fight put up from uh, from Shevchenko on the ground there. 
And it's got to be a good victory to have, you know, especially coming off a loss to her sister. Uh, that must have done a lot of, for her confidence, but then obviously going in there against a very tough woman and Jessica Andrade was a lot tougher for her. But the Cynthia Calvillo fight is a little bit more backed out to her range now. And for this fight to be, you know, as wide as it is with the odds is a little bit r ridiculous to me. Um, I'm surprised it's crazy like this. Um, like we've seen Chukagan go out there and have solid performances against girls like Joanne Calderwood and Jennifer Maya, uh, pretty much boxing them up from from distance. And I think she could be successful in doing that against Calvillo here. If she keeps her shots straight down the middle, she will have a lot of success in keeping, uh, you know, Calvillo on the outside and kind of just whiffing on most of the shots that Calvillo is going to be throwing. Now, the the, the difference be between Jessica I and Kathleen Chukagan is that Chukagan moves a lot more than I. Um, it's going to be a lot more difficult for Cynthia to land on Chukagin, uh, you know, the way that she has with some of her past opponents. Even the Courtney Casey fight, that was a fight that I looked at just to see what Calvio does dealing with women that are, you know, taller than her. Uh, Courtney Casey had a three-inch height advantage in that fight. Catelyn Chukagin is going to have an extra two, you know, two uh, inches bigger than uh, Courtney Casey. Uh, so we saw a little bit of that. And, you know, Courtney Casey is not the type of striker that Chukagin is. Um, you know, she, she doesn't move as much she's not as mobile she does not have as stinging as a one-two that true kagan does in my in my mind and true kagan is just a much better uh all-around uh fighter in my opinion compared to according casey so uh, yeah i think these odds must be a lot closer i think the opener was a uh, a little bit more on the nose here but uh the the public has absolutely steamed calvio here and i don't think it's justified i think this fight's going to play out much closer and i would rather have my money on the you know the plus 205 plus 210 dog in chukagian than i would on uh on on cynthia calvio here we saw just this past weekend Kay Hansen and Corey McKenna had a really, you know, close fight in a fight where Kay, a lot of people thought Kay, Kay Hansen would just run away with it. And now in that fight, I did admit that the odds were a little bit too wide, but I still did pick uh, Hansen to win the fight. Um, but in this fight, I do agree that the odds are too wide, but I still am siding with the dog, as I do believe that True Kagan can make this fight a lot closer than it should be. So uh, I'm going to go with True Kagan to win this fight via decision, as, uh, you know, if this fight does primarily play out on the feet, she could absolutely still it with her you know uh patented tennis sounds and and just kind of picking apart calvio from uh, from distance and if this fight does hit the ground uh you know i don't think it'll be completely one-way traffic for calvio i think true kagan will have some success on the ground too even if she's on her back so not saying that she's going to go out there and submit calvio but she'll make it a lot tougher for calvio to really get her a game going than uh you know some some of the past opponents that uh, calvio has taken to the ground so once again, I'm going to go with Chu Kagan to win this five-year decision. I think there's massive value here on her at plus money, especially at plus 215. And and last thing I'll say about this, I know a lot of people want to write fighters off once they talk about retirement. And even if it's a, a the word that they use in a, a fight prior to before, but the fact that she's getting right back in there just kind of makes you believe that, okay, she wants to get that L back off of her record. Um and I'm not completely sold on the fact that, you know, just because she says the word retirement that, you know, it automatically creates red flags and makes you want to bet against against this fighter. Uh, I think you'd be a little bit too crazy to think that this this the line is accurate here. Uh, but yeah, well, once again, I'll go with Kaylin Chigigino to win this five-year decision. Uh, I think she has the chops to do it. And uh, yeah, massive, massive value in my opinion.
Tim Means versus Mike Perry. We got minus 135 on Mike Perry and plus 115 on the Dirty Bird. Uh, Mike Perry actually opened up around the minus 185 range uh, and has slowly gotten bet, or we've seen money come in on uh, Means now and he's gotten bet all the way down to minus 135 now. And it makes sense once you start running the tape. Um, we have no props on this. Obviously, the fight doesn't go to decision. Is always a sexy prop when you're talking about two, you know, seemingly finishers uh in in fights but let's talk about tim means first and foremost so he's uh 30 12 and 1 coming off a victory over loriana staropoli uh in a great fight where he showed resiliency uh he showed that his chin is you know you can somewhat trust it still like there are uh, you know, against heavier punches, it's obviously going to be a little bit questionable. But you you see the technique, you see his ability to use his leg kicks uh, to keep the range, uh, to keep the knees going, and he's starting to uh, go out there and start wrestling dudes now too, uh, which should allow him to really uh, you know start to implement his jujitsu game, which is heavily over or underrated, I should say. Um, he's been around the UFC for a while now, and the one thing that has been his has been questionable of his in the, in recent times, and a lot of people are you know, kind of hesitant to put money on Dirty Bird uh, nowadays just due to his durability. So, he, you know, he's gotten finished one, two. Out of his last four losses, he's gotten finished twice. And that Daniel Rodriguez fight, he got hurt a couple times, pretty bad on the feet, and then tapped to a guillotine choke. And then the Nico Price fight, we know how badass Nico Price is. You know, Nico Price getting lit up for the majority of that fight. Then we see Tim Means, uh, you know, overextend a little bit, and Nico Price counter perfectly and get the victory there. Um, but, you know, since, uh, what is it, 2018, he's had wins over Ricky Rainey, Tiago Alves, and then obviously most recently, Laureano Storpoli. Star Polly brings like a weird game plan into his fights. He's he loves to throw spinning shit, loves to throw fi- flying stuff. Um, has an awkward fighting style, but uh, Tim Means did a good job of kind of stifling that as best as possible, landing great shots from the outside, using his teeth perfectly. That's one of his best weapons as well. If he's able to maintain distance with that kick, uh, he's able to really let his hands go and um, you know implement his game plan. Mike Perry, on the other hand, we know what he's all about. He wants to go out there and throw bungalows and try to knock your head off. Um, but the funny thing is, we haven't seen him get in a victory via finish since he fought Alex Reyes way back in September of 2017. Uh, and that, you know, he knocked down Mickey Gall once in the, I believe it was the second round. Uh, but the only other time he's recorded a, a knockdown, or at least in recent memory, was that Alex Reyes fight. He hasn't, he did not knock down Ponzinibbio, Griffin, Felder, Donald Cerrone, uh, uh, Cowboy Oliveira, Vicente Luque, Jeff Neal. And he obviously knocks down Mickey Gall, but that Mickey Gall fight was a little bit alerting. You know, we saw Mike Perry go out there and kind of get outstruck. Like it, it I was kind of surprised at the the type of striking that we were seeing from Mickey Gall. Beautiful body kicks. Uh, you know, had some de- uh, decent success from range. Uh, had decent success in terms of uh, you know trying to stay out of the out of the way of the big shots. Obviously, outside of that one knockdown, but that first round looked really good for Mickey Gall. And that's kind of like the stereotypical game plan that you'd see from a Tim Means is you know kind of playing the counter game he's going to be on his back foot here obviously mike perry will be the one kind of pressing the gas and kind of throw those bombs and hoping to land on tim means and this is a fight where tim means has to make sure that he doesn't slip up doesn't you know uh, overextend too much doesn't uh, trade in the fire as much as he uh, you know we've seen him in the past before because mike perry does have that power but i'm a little bit questionable of how crazy that power is considering we haven't really seen him go out there and really finish dudes uh in a long time and 
you know, I've, obviously I rate Tim Means a lot higher than I do Alex Reyes, um, but the, the the durability has always been a question for Tim Means in his recent career. But if you're talking about skill for skill stacked beside each other, Tim Means absolutely blows Mike Perry out of the water. You know, Mike Perry is a brawler. That's that's his style. And, you know, kudos to him for kind of recognizing that he, you know, the stand-up was a little bit harder than it should have been against a guy like Mickey Gall. And he started taking this fight to the ground and just did a good job in terms of, uh, you know, keeping top position, landing some good shots from on top and staying out of any submission attempts from Mickey Gall. My issue, though, with Mickey Gall is it seems like he has cardio issues. You know, he tried making an excuse after that Diego Sanchez fight. We saw it enter him again here against Mike Perry as well, where, you know, he has or at least has said that he has solid jiu-jitsu. And we've seen solid jiu-jitsu from him in the past, but we did not see any of that in this fight against Mike Perry because by the time this fight was, you know, once this fight started majority uh, taking place majority on the ground, majority, majorly, majorly. For the most part, on the ground, uh, we didn't really see him implement his jiu-jitsu, no real reversals, no real submission attempts, and nothing that was even close to, to, to hitting. And uh, going into that fight, I thought that was Mike Perry's kind of, or sorry, uh, Mickey Gall's way to win this fight is to get this to the ground and really show off his jiu-jitsu, and he was not able to do that. However, I believe that Tim Means is, at this point in his career, he, has, he probably has better jiu-jitsu than Mickey Gall, and he might be able to implement it a little bit better than Mickey Gall did. So even if Mike Perry decides to go take this fight to the ground, I don't think he's really in the clear in terms of being able to just lay on top of uh, uh, Tim Means and hoping to just grind out a decision victory like he did against, against Gall. So I think Perry is in a little bit of trouble here. As long as Tim Means doesn't like overextend or, or really get hurt or anything like that, uh, he could win this fight just from staying at distance. Or even if he wanted to try to take this fight to the ground, uh, he could have some success in terms of landing shots from on top and possibly pulling off a submission of his own. Um, the takedown accuracy for Mike Perry, 46%. Uh, not the greatest, uh, but, you know, he's had to deal with some uh, solid takedowns from the past from, like, Santiago Ponzinibbio and Alan Jobang. Uh Most recently, yeah, the last person to really take him down has been Santiago Ponzinibbio, which was back in December of 2017. So, uh, I'm not sure if the other guys are really so keen on trying to take Mike Perry down anyway. Max Griffin, not really a takedown guy. Paul Felder, not really a takedown guy. Donald Cerrone, we saw him get this fight to the ground. I'm not trying, I can't remember exactly how. Actually, it was Mike Perry that actually ended up taking him down. Uh, and we saw uh, Cowboy Cerrone pull off a, a submission there. But yeah, uh, Cowboy Oliveira, not really a takedown guy. Vicente Luque likes to keep most fights on the feet. Jeff Neal, obviously we know what his forte is. And then obviously Mickey Gall, we know he wasn't able to get the fight to the ground on his terms at least so i do like tim means here but i'm so skeptical it's going to be such a sweat going out there and trying to put money on tim means here i'm going to need a lot better than plus 120 which is the best line that you can currently get at pinnacle now if this line starts to reach that plus 150 plus 170 range or something like that i might have to take a little bit of a shot on 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 means here as i don't believe the odds should be that wide even like plus 155, uh, the, the opener on means, I think that was a solid spot if you could have gotten your hands on that. But that did not last for long. And now we have 10 means at plus 115. So, uh, I would sit back and wait. You know, I'm recording this pretty early. I'm recording this on Thursday before fight week, and there's still plenty of time for this fight to, or at least these odds to start to shift, especially once the the, the event before completes. We really see uh, a lot of movement um, uh, for odds. Um, you know, once people start to really f fully 
shift their focus from one event to the next so uh, i'll be keeping my eye on that i do have a notification uh set on best fight odds for tim means at plus 150 as i do feel like that's a good spot for him if you do want to take a play there because again skill for skill tim means should have this in the bag but it's just being able to stay away from those big shots of mike perry and i think uh you know me means would have a better chance uh, I'd give means the, the higher probability of being able to keep Mike Perry on the outside than Mike Perry landing a clean enough shot uh, to put Tim Means out. And But again, like I said, the only way I would really take the shot on Tim Means here is if I got solid plus money. And plus 150 is kind of the, the range that I'm looking for here for, uh, for Tim Means. So uh, once again, I'll be going with Tim Means to win this fight via decision as I do believe that Mike Perry is very, very durable. It's been a long time since we've seen him even finished. Well, obviously, uh, Jeff Neal actually finished him, but outside of that like he hasn't even been finished in the ufc so that's very impressive oh uh sorry sorry i did miss up uh donna Cerrone as well did get him by by submission so uh, i will go with the safe side as i don't believe that tim means will want to really overextend himself unless he goes for a takedown and just really controls mike perry from on top i, I i'm not sure how successful he would be in that uh but i do believe that we'll see means kind of put together a, a picture perfect picture perfect performance outside of uh you know hopefully not getting rocked or anything like that um but yeah i'm taking tim means to win this fight via decision Next up, we got the co-main event where we have the first of two title fights for UFC 255. And we have the women's flyweight great GOAT, if you want to call it. Um, Valentina Shevchenko going up against Jennifer Maya. And we got, uh, as you expected, super chalky odds on my girl Jennifer Maya. Right now, the line is sitting at minus 1250 uh, and plus 800 for Jennifer Maya. Um, and the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 210, which absolutely makes sense. So let's start off with Valentin Shevchenko. This, this breakdown is going to be short and sweet. There's no need to get into some crazy long-winded answer to tell you that uh, Valentin Shevchenko is going to go out there and absolutely obliterate Jennifer Maya. We know uh, Valentin Shevchenko. We know what she's all about. And in her last four wins... Uh, sorry, last five fights alone, she's gone out there and finished three of those five five opponents. The only two that she wasn't able to put away, Ioana Jacek and then Liz Carmouche, who's very durable herself. But in that time, she's been able to dispose of Priscilla Cachuera, Jessica I, and Catelyn Jukagin. And now here she is against Jennifer Maya, who almost like stumbled upon a, a title shot here. So the, the title shot was originally supposed to go to Joanne Calderwood back in June, uh, but that was pre-COVID plans. And now COVID obviously fucked that up. Joanne Calderwood wanted to stay active she takes a fight against jennifer maya rolls the dice on herself and she ends up getting tapped to an arm bar from jennifer maya um so shevchenko now she has another you know lamb bringing uh, being brought to the slaughter uh another name to add to her belt another jewel to add to that belt as well whatever the hell they do with that new ufc belt um but what are what else are they supposed to do like there isn't really else much much else out there for her in this uh this flyweight division i just want to pull it up real quick to see you know i'll leave that for the the, the back end of this breakdown so uh we know shevchenko she's she's fast she's uh she's great with her jiu-jitsu her striking is on point she doesn't really like her her movement is weird it's more static than anything in terms of like she she bounces around kind of right in front of her opponent and then gets just out of the way of most of her opponent's strikes but she's close enough to her opponents that when she wants to throw you know, she may not be able to reach with that one too, but she's always going to hit you with a leg kick that's probably coming as the third strike, which she was able to do, you know, quite consistently against Catelyn Jukagin before the fight started getting dragged to the ground. Um, 
that was a weird fight where Chukagian was just more than happy to engage in the ground. Like the 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 the, the exchange that led to the finish there, uh, she she right before actually getting taken down, she almost like pulled guard. It was so weird. Like she was just accepting of getting taken down. Uh, she got taken down, and then Shevchenko like pretty much immediately got into the crucifix position, and started raining down shots, and that was you know pretty much the the beginning of the end there for Kathleen Chukagian. Um, but Shevchenko can pretty much do it anywhere she wants. You know, whether it's on the ground, whether it's on the feet, she's going out there and striking, uh, or sorry, out, out striking Holly Holm in a five-round fight. She's going out there and, uh, you know, out jujitsuing Catelyn Chikagin, who a lot of people, they kind of thought that that was her, you know, little rabbit in her hat, where she was just going to pull it on and be like, hey, you know, I'm not just a striker, I can go out there and use my submissions. And that was something a lot of people are hammering during that fight week for uh, for Catelyn. But uh, Shevchenko goes out there and just obliterates her on the ground, too. There's no no facet that Shevchenko has pretty much been beaten in, other than her fights against uh, Amanda Nunes. Um, you know that 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 third fight, even though she's 0-2 to Nunes, those two fights were really fucking close. That you could absolutely make it make a case for Shevchenko for winning those fights. So if we do stumble upon a third fight, I'd be totally on board for that because uh, she's going to continue to go out there and just absolutely bust some of these girls like Jennifer Maya. So let's not forget Jennifer Maya two fights ago. She lost a decision to Catelyn Chikagian because she wasn't able to track her down. You know, Catelyn Chikagian did a really good job of like keeping her feet moving, landing her strikes from distance, and then getting out of the way. And Jennifer Maya was absolutely dumbfounded in terms of what she, you know, what she could do. You know, mainly a Muay Thai fighter coming from the shoot to box camp, uh, the famed shoot to box camp that people love talking about. Uh, that's where Jennifer Maya, you know, kind of paid her dues. And then she became a black belt in jiu-jitsu as well, where she was able to show off in that fight against uh, Joanne Calderwood. If you guys remember my breakdown of that Jennifer Maya fight uh, with Joanne Calderwood, I was very... I was very much underrating the the ground game of Jennifer Maya. Like the the times that we have seen her on the ground in her past fights, most notably the Alexis Davis fight, we saw her struggle to get back to her feet. We saw her struggle to implement her jujitsu. So for her to go out and pull a pull an armbar against Joanne Calderwood kind of was like a oh shit kind of moment for us here. I mean, Joanne Calderwood. A lot of people are saying there's a lot of steam on her just because of the the wins that she was able to accrue going into that Jennifer Maya fight that essentially like got her a title shot but let's look at those fights that got her that title shot you know so the the, the title <laughs> the fight that got her she's one one you know she she, she joan calderwood herself lost to caitlin chikagian which is fucking hilarious that caitlin chikagian is the one beating all these girls uh pretty much right before they get a win to get a title shot at uh valentina shevchenko so uh yeah joan calderwood her last four fights before jennifer Maya beats kalindra faria uh via triangle armbar beats ariani lipsky via decision loses to caitlin chikagian so chikagian gets the title shot right after that and then joan calderwood goes out there and split decisions Andrea Lee in a very, very, very close fight, and then she gets a title shot, or was scheduled to get a title shot. Uh, unfortunately for her, she goes in there, like I said, gambles, rolls the dice against Jennifer Meyer, and gets armbar. So it's kind of just like, okay, you know, Joanne Calderwood really isn't that great, and a girl like Jennifer Meyer could absolutely be her. And let's not forget that the odds pretty much going into that fight were plus 145 uh, for Jennifer Meyer. So there was a lot of love on Joanne Calderwood there. But Jennifer Meyer, you know, she's beaten every aspect here. I don't see how in any way that she's going to be Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko is just built differently. Like, if you physically look at her compared to every other 125 out there, she looks like a fighter. Like, she looks like... The, the prime example of a girl that's going to go out there and beat your ass. And that's exactly what she does to pretty much 99% of the opponents she goes goes out there and fights. It's it's ridiculous. Like, it's not even fair. She has a cheat code as to why she's able to go out there and just murk some of these girls the way she is. So, 
The question more so is uh, for these Shevchenko fights: Is she going to win by decision, or is she going to win inside the distance? Because though you know that's pretty much the the only uh, <laughs> like the only competitive odds that you'll normally get on these Shevchenko fights. So I do think that she'll go out there and finish uh, Jennifer Maya. Like the one fight that I did call her recently to win via decision, she ended up winning by decision, which was the Liz Carmouche fight, who again is quite durable and does a good job of you know not getting finished. Uh, Jessica I I definitely knew that she was going to go out there and, and knock her out knock her silly like she was able to just set up traps that eventually led to that head kick knockout which is one of the greatest knockouts of all time uh, a lot of people thought that Shevchenko was going to go in there and decision her I'm like just look at all the mistakes that Jessica I makes look how, how slow she is look at how, you know she she's quite repetitive in her combinations Valentina's is going to easily pick up on those combinations and then find a perfect counter and that's exactly what she did um or, or even just set traps for Jessica, and that's exactly what she did. Jennifer Maya, to me, seems like a girl that Valentina can go out there and set traps against. And I'm fully expecting Shevchenko to go out there and finish her. I don't know if it's going to be a submission, but I, I could absolutely seeing it, uh, see it being a, a knockout on the feet. Um, I do believe that uh, the, the majority of this fight will be contested on the feet. But Shevchenko could absolutely go John Jones on the shit and, you know be be like that champion that just goes out there and beats opponents at their own game so whether it's the muay thai whether it's the jiu-jitsu whatever whatever it is shevchenko is going to do her thing and get the finish so uh, i'm going to say second or third round finish for shevchenko after she really starts to feel this fight uh, fight out get to set up those traps whatever it is but uh yeah i i truly like shevchenko to to go out there and ragdoll uh jennifer maya but in terms of like worthy contenders for shevchenko um God damn. So Jessica Andrade goes out there, finishes Catelyn Chikagin, and now finds herself as the number one, or the number one, at least in the UFC ranking. So maybe that's the next person after Jennifer Maya for uh, Valentin Shevchenko. In terms of like, like uh, proper, you know, uh, proper justification for getting a title shot, I think Jessica Andrade should have to go out there and beat at least one more opponent, but I don't think they're going to be doing that cynthia calvillo is fighting Catelyn chikagan next so that could potentially produce uh you know if calvillo wins she could potentially uh be a number one contender but yeah there, there's nobody really on the come up right now that has me thinking okay this girl should be the one to go out there and dethrone uh valentia shevchenko yeah, th this list is tough. Vi Viviani Arujo still has a little bit of work to do. Macy Barber definitely still has work to do. Um, yeah, Jessica Andrade is probably the, the the funnest fight that we could potentially make for Shevchenko if she's able to get by Maya, which she absolutely will. Uh, and I'd be down for that. Even if it's just off that one win over Chukagan, I'm absolutely down with that. All right, so final prediction on this fight before I start rambling on. I told you this was going to be short and sweet, sweet, but I love breaking down Shevchenko. I love talking about how great she is because she is absolutely great. She's definitely one of the GOATs. Uh, and it's going to be really, really hard to see anybody go out there and actually beat this woman uh, unless her name is Amanda Nunes you know what I mean so uh, I'll go with Shevchenko I'm gonna go within the distance you know parlaying her at minus 1250 has little to no value so I don't think anybody should be doing that uh, I think the line if your bookies allow it the line that you want to be parlaying is uh, Shevchenko to win inside the distance I'm interested to see where actually the uh, the over under drops at like if it's 
If it's three and a half or four and a half, I'd absolutely take the under. But if it's two and a half or one and a half, then I'm just going to, I'd rather just go with Shevchenko inside the distance. So those are the two plays uh, or, or most, the plays that I like the most. We don't have odds on them yet. The only odds we do have that would give us an indication of what it would potentially look like is the fight doesn't go to decision, which is minus 210, which leads me to believe that Shevchenko inside the distance may be opening would be about minus 150, minus 160. So uh, yeah, just keep your eye out for that whenever that drops. All right, final prediction, Valentin Shevchenko via second or third round KO. For the main event, we got the flyweight title on the line. We got the returning champion, Davison Figueredo versus Alex Perez. Uh, we got minus 300 on the champ and plus 250 on the challenger here. Uh, and I personally think that line's a little bit too wide. And I think it has to do a lot with a little bit of recency bias. And that's something you guys hear me talk about a lot uh, you know, when I break down some of these fights and, uh, I'm not trying to shit on Davison perform Davison's performances against, uh, Joe Benavidez, but, um, yeah, like the, the way he was m making them look so easy and how he was just absolutely ragdolling Joseph Benavidez and they're absolutely, uh, is pushing the line to as far as it is. A lot of people aren't, uh, one, too familiar with Alex Perez, and two, they don't believe that he possesses the skills that are required to beat a guy like Alex Perez. So let's go back and look at what has allowed Alex Perez to come back um, from that loss to Joseph Benavides back in 2018 to now fighting for this title. He goes out there, beats Mark De La Rosa, pretty much grinds him out, takes him into Mark De La Rosa's world, which is the grappling and jiu-jitsu realm. And out grapples him. Uh, the Jordan Espinosa fight, beautiful arm triangle choke from uh, from side con or sorry from half guard from the opposite side of the choke, which is very very impressive. You have to get a lot of torque on that, a lot of squeeze on that to be able to pull off pull that off. And it just goes to show the fact that uh, Jordan uh, Espinosa didn't even tap to that. He had no idea that that you know it had as much effect as it did. And uh, you know Perez had the amount of squeeze that he actually did. So that was unfortunate. Uh, and then the Juicy Juicy Formiga fight, absolutely you know rushes him and wrecks him in that first round with just leg kicks calf kicks specifically um and if a lot of people remember that's the only l on davison's record is to juicy formiga and obviously those fights went completely different we saw formiga go out there in the first two rounds against davison and take him down and control him from on top and then that third round uh, it seemed like he had a little bit of issues trying to control davison he was running away from him a lot couldn't really even get him down either um but he was still able to secure the first two rounds which gave him the victory there but uh, in this fight with Alex Perez, uh, Perez just laid on that leg kick from the beginning and it just paid off dividends and, and you know, Formiga couldn't handle it after the four-minute mark into that first round. So uh, big big shout-out to Alex Perez for actually getting Juicy Formiga out of there, which is a really, really tough task to do. Um, and now here he is, uh, Alex Perez fighting Davison Figueredo for the title. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm really looking forward to it because I think he has a really good shot here. So Alex Perez, solid uh, wrestling. Um very much improved striking too we definitely saw that um you know in effect against jose or jose torres where you just absolutely let him up for three and a half minutes before finally putting him out but uh he has great hands um 
I'd obviously give the striking advantage here to Davison, but it's it's going to be the effectiveness of the calf kicks, in my opinion, uh, from Perez that would uh, dictate the, the, the result of this fight. If he's able to go out there and actually attack that leg uh, consistently uh, and avoiding the counters that are coming back his way because that right down the mid, that right straight from Davison Figueredo is a freaking piston that has put plenty of guys on their butts. But I feel like Perez has a good shot of, you know, avoiding those shots, uh, getting his damage off, and then mixing in takedowns too because that's something that's going to be uh, important for him here. One thing that Davison does very, very well, and he's actually caught Tim Elliott with it, is uh, his guillotine chokes when guys are going for takedowns. He pretty much went for it every single time Juicy Formiga took him down, and he's gone for it pretty much any time anybody's taken him down, especially the Jared, Brook, Jared Brooks fight, if that's something that you want to guys, if you guys want to go back and see. Um, you know, that was a fight where we saw Brooks take him down time and time and time again, uh, and Davison still came out with a victory there, and that one was a highly contested, tested decision a lot of people thought that uh you know the second round could have gone to jared brooks will probably would have given the fight there but uh yeah that fight was a long time ago that was over six years or not six years ago what am i talking about that was over four or three years ago yeah just about three years ago uh and since that uh davison's gone what two three four five six and one in that amount of time on route to this uh this title shot now so uh you know I'm impressed with Davison. I love his striking. The guy has a ton of power. Even when he goes for takedowns and starts, you know, dishing out his damage from on top, he's a very scary individual. But my issue here is, uh, you know, how was Juicy Formiga able to get him down so easily? Jared Brooks was more so strength, you know, kind of picking him up, body slamming him, whatever it took to get Davison down. But he didn't really do a good job of keeping him down, whereas Juicy Formiga did a lot better job. I feel like Perez will be able to get him down. I feel like he'll be able to time the takedowns properly um you know especially with him going out there and doing work on the feet as well that should definitely allow him to open up his uh his wrestling game too um yeah plus 250 is a little bit crazy in my opinion i i like those odds for alex Perez, and i think it's only going to get worse too i think a lot of people are drinking that juice on figueredo and think that he's completely unstoppable and I kind of believe that to a certain extent, but if you're going to give me crazy numbers on guys who I believe are viable contenders, I will fade Davison Figueredo. So I do like Perez here, and I do think he has the chops to go out there and pull off the upset. Um, you know, he's looked completely unbeatable, and people are going to throw the whole MMA math thing there and be like, oh, look, you know, uh, uh, Benavidez beat Perez, but he got absolutely murked by Figueredo. Well, Perez murked Formiga, Formiga and we saw him go out there and beat Figueredo. So kind of a counterpoint right there uh but also one thing that i wanted want to wanted to touch on here uh there was one fight specifically uh for perez that i wanted to talk about um why can't i pull it up god damn yeah, so even Pantoja had some issues getting Figueredo down, so that was interesting. But uh, yeah, like I like the work that Perez has been able to put together, um, and I feel like he, you know, he's he had a solid run before even coming to the UFC. You know, and going into that contender series fight, he was uh, seventeen and four. He's been fighting professionally since two thousand eleven. Uh, I think Figueredo is roughly around there too, two thousand and twelve. Uh, but yeah, I, I like Perez here. I like his ability to mix it up. I like the improvements that he's making on the feet, especially if, if he's able to out, go out there and unleash those calf kicks. Uh, I think that's going to give Figueredo some issues here. Uh, but it's the counters that I'm worried about for Perez here. Uh, if you know if he gets countered consistently, gets dropped, then it's going to be some issues. Oh yeah, the, the one thing that I did want to talk about was Perez against Benavides. Uh, 
it was so weird that that first instance where Benavir's first stopped him, where Eve Levine really fucked up and kind of semi stopped the fight, but didn't stop the fight. Uh, like nothing looked to really rock or drop Perez. He kind of just fell over when they like collided, and then we saw Joseph Benavir's go out there and just go crazy with these uh, hammer fists, uh, and that could have easily stopped the fight, which it should have. And then we saw, uh, you know, I think Perez really was wearing the damage from that ground and pound, uh, which led to the ulti uh, ultimate finish for uh, for Benavidez there. But uh, I feel like that's, if anything, that's only made Alex Perez stronger. He's tasted that defeat in the UFC now. And he's come back, look much, much better. The best we've seen of him, obviously, is that Juicy Formiga fight. So I'm hoping he's going to be able to go out there and replicate that type of performance you know just lay on the leg kicks right away be wary of the counters coming back to you and then when you feel like you have formiga really you know into the the striking stance switch it up let's go for a takedown tuck in that chin because obviously figueredo is going to be uh you know pulling guillotine uh and then just let's just try to do a good job of trying to keep figueredo down so i'm going to go with the or uh, sorry i'm going to go with the, the the juicy underdog i should say here at plus 250 maybe even better by the time i get around to actually placing the bet here but I do like Perez. I think he has the chops to get it done. And this number is a little bit crazy. Let's. I like Figueredo, and a part of me is kind of pulling for him here to go out there and be that like you know uh, that that champion that flyweight has needed, that dominant champion that flyweight has needed. Not not just dominant in the way that Mighty Mouse was, but dominant in the way that you know uh, knocking dudes out, submitting dudes, whatever it is, just bringing that God of War nickname to life. Uh, so I am uh, half of me is pulling for Figueredo here. But if you're giving me plus two fifty on a guy, in my opinion, that has has all the chops to go out there and beat a guy like Figueredo. I'm going with the going with the proper odds here. So I'm going with Alex Perez to win this fight via maybe late stoppage or or submission. That's another issue here though. That that's kind of unknown is Perez's gas tank and even Figueredo's gas tank. Like uh, people have always kind of like. Uh, banged on him for potentially having cardio issues but we never really see him go those three four five rounds this is going to be you know the first time he could potentially be pushed to five rounds same with uh, Perez so we'll see if he's able to keep up that type of that type of output that type of game plan where he's switching it from grappling to striking grappling to striking and then obviously dealing with the power that's coming back to him uh from Figueredo and I don't think that Figueredo is a complete wild man on the feet just looking for the knockout I believe he's you know he's calculated with his approach and he waits for the proper times to counter uh so Perez is going to have to be be very very much ready for that uh i do like him over down there at uh oyama's gym uh training with uh, chito vera and uh i just love the head coach over there because he's a very knowledgeable guy uh so i feel like they'll be able to drop a perfect game plan to go out there and implement against a guy like figueredo so i'm going with alex perez once and for all um i don't know if it'll be late submission or a decision but i do like um prez here to win this fight via submission or sorry you know what Let's go with decision. I'm going to say Alex Perez via decision. And those are the bets. I appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. As always, make sure you guys like, subscribe, uh, and then hit up the Patreon as well. Once again, that is in the description below. Uh, you guys can hit the Patreon link and sign up there. Um, yeah, I appreciate you guys watching. As always, I will be back on Friday with the Odds Crew doing our regular final weigh-in stream. Uh, shout out to everybody that's been hopping on that. That's been so much fun. I love those guys over there. Um, and uh, then also on fight day at 1 p.m. Eastern, every fight day, I do my live stream, my final thoughts personally, where I just address everybody's questions, comments, and concerns in the live chat. And uh, we get out our final thoughts before the fights go down. So make sure you guys check me out for that. All right. I'll see you guys on Friday. Uh, good luck on your best this weekend. And uh, yeah.
Let's fucking get this money.